totally awesome. I was laid off from a position, and he's finding me a new. I'm working now, but he's finding me another position. I can see his hand in it. And um, my dog just got the Delta training, so we're going to be visiting um, Scottish Rite. That just came through. That was a miracle, too, because my dog loves children. And I've had some illnesses, and I can feel God's hand on me. I feel so much better. Amen. And it's just awesome. And this week, it was like the devil was really attacking me. Everything went wrong. And I almost didn't come. And I thought, no, I'm supposed to come because I've been really attacked. Amen. And I've been praying for healing because I've got from your tapes generational curses that need to be gone today. And I'm ready. Amen. <laughs> I'm so ready. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word, doesn't yes, it? Yes, Amen. yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise yes, the Lord. Praise the Lord. When it's what the Bible says, that's it. <laughs> that's what it's got to be. Now, can you imagine anybody that could stand on the old Bible? Any, could, really? Can we stand on that word? Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's our book of life. That's but our book yes. of life. Absolutely yes. the book of life. Yes. Well, what's so unfortunate, I carried the book around in my hand as a Southern Baptist deacon and a Sunday school teacher, and I didn't believe it. I didn't know. I got the real feeling that the ministers were supposed to teach us, and, and now that I've started reading it, it's a lot more awesome. It's, it is a lot more it's awesome. It's really awesome, yes. And when you really believe what you read, it really changes your life, doesn't it? Absolutely. It teaches you who you are. You're yes. a daughter of the king, and yes. all things are yours uh-huh. as long as you walk in obedience I, to his word. I can do all things through Christ your strength. Amen. That's it. When you get a hold of that, <laughs> when you get a hold of that, you have no more fears, no more anxieties. Well, they still come back. Oh, yeah. But I'm working on that. <laughs> You have to kick the devil out. He'll always come back. Yes. But you don't never let him stay. Amen to that. You yes. kick him out in yes. Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sure. Come up here, girl. You got something? You're back there waving her hand in. I know this girl's got something to tell us. What's God doing good in your life, Miss Sharon? Well, I went to the health food store yesterday and I ran into a friend of mine and she was really sick. And we sat down at a booth and I said, well, let me anoint you with oil. So I pulled my oil out of my purse. I anointed her head and I touched her. And right before my eyes, it just, bam, her countenance totally changed. And she got healed. She got healed. I mean, it was just totally, she had this really ugly looking on her face, you know, the demons. And when I laid hands on it, I, you know, sometimes God just freaks me out. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! It was awesome. And her whole countenance just totally changed. Her skin just started glowing. It was beautiful. Well, well just since this is fairly a new group of people, tell them what God did for you two years ago, How, what your situation was. Well, I had a car accident like 30 years, 30 some odd years now, and I came to the healing school. And I'd been going to the chiropractor for like 23 years, every other day. I still work at his office. And I came to a healing school, and I found out I just had this terrible sin of unbelief, besides the sin that got me in trouble in the first place. And they laid hands on me, and just like that, I was healed. I haven't had an adjustment now in a year and eight months. Totally healed. No totally healed. And had not been with that for... I had not for 30 years. 30 years. I had migraine headaches. My arm would slip out of the socket. My hip wouldn't slip out. Everything I did, something would happen. If I slept too long, I got a migraine headache. If I didn't sleep long enough, my back would hurt. I'm serious. The doctor had to pull my arm into the socket. It kept slipping out every week. 
And it was it was a miserable existence. And you come up and repented of all your yep. sins, even your sin of unbelief, which you didn't even know was a sin. Exactly. And then we prayed for you and prayed the prayer of faith, and, and God instantly instantly healed. You. healed. That's what we so, for God yeah, to If do you it. don't get instantly healed, believe the word, because I went through six months of trying to get my allergies healed because I refused to buy Flonase anymore. And it took six months. I come out. He pray for me. Wally, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I have no allergies anymore. Amen. So if, if if you don't get a miracle, just believe the word. Amen. Not what you see. It's what the word says. So he gave you both. He gave you a he gave me both. on yeah. your back. Yeah. But then he gave you a healing on your allergies. Exactly. And so isn't it wonderful to be healed, Jerry? Oh man, it is the best. Right. And now look what you're doing. It's like nine hundred dollars a year for Flonase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can go to the Bahamas, okay? <laughs> you can do a lot of things with that money, can't you? No pain, no medicine. And now then, she, just like, now then, she's dangerous. She's taking a word and going out and anointing people in the, in the restaurants and cafes and That's grocery right. stores and getting them healed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the time. You know, I am I'm just like, you know what? After what he did for me, I will never stop. Vengeance is the Lord's. I was going to say mine. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to be well. All of us that are well know how good it is to be well. Anybody else have a testimony you want to give? Okay, just one second. I'll let you tell yours right after this gentleman tells us his. Tuesday we got up. I took Susan to work. I came back to the house. I was feeling lousy, lousy, lousy. I had to go to bed and rest. I got up at 10 o'clock. I was running 102-something fever. I urinated, and it was blood. And the devil got kicked out. We're to agree. And God healed me instantly. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand on the road and rebuke that devil. Yeah. Huh? Oh, definitely. And, and he goes away. And he goes away. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Come up here and tell us what the Lord would get you next, okay? Praise the Lord. We want to see what God's doing in y'all's life. In the name of Jesus. You need to get that foot totally healed, too, huh? Wait. Yes, I came three months ago. I came to the healing school here, and I had just unbearable pain in my hip and in my knee. I could barely walk. I had the cane. I came up and I got prayed for, and the pain has left. I have no pain. I still need to walk with the cane. I kept saying no pain, no cane, but I do need the cane. But I know that it's going to happen just like Sharon said. I'm standing on it. My husband has also been healed, and we're standing on it, but the devil does attack us continually, continually. So just stay on the Word and just listen to Pastor Thurman's tapes because they're the best teaching tool you can imagine. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. We want you to be healed. Praise the Lord. Because just think, that little lady also, just like Sharon, she had had pain for a long, long time. About 27 years had pain. And when we prayed for her, pain instantly went away. Isn't Jesus wonderful? I mean, we serve an awesome God. So when he takes away the pain, he's in the process of healing you. So don't never doubt. Just like Sharon, she was really fortunate to get an instantaneous healing on her back. But it took her six months to kick out the rest of them devils to get rid of her allergies. But whatever you do, you don't never doubt God. You stand on his word. I mean, stand on his word 
and you get healed. Did you have something you wanted to say? Just come on up here. Oh, well, there's no such thing as small things. You know, praise the King. Tell us what you want to tell us about Jesus. Since I've been listening to your tapes. Um, I'll hold it up close. For you. One day, oh, it's been a couple of months ago, I was out in the garden pulling weeds, and I went down to pull some weeds, and you know those tall Shasta daisy stakes? My eye just went, I just went right straight down on it. I mean, I was in excruciating pain. And I ran in the house, and I rinsed out my eye, you know, thinking maybe it was something in it. But I knew it was worse than that after that. It was really just excruciating pain. So I went to the living room, sat down on the sofa, and I said, Jesus... I said, I'm asking, I'm asking you, I said, to alleviate this pain, and I expect a rapid recovery of this eye, whatever damage has been done to it. And I said, I'm asking that in your name. I said, thank you, Jesus. And when I got to the doctor, this was on a Sunday, you know, I had to go on an emergency basis. And he said, how come you're not screaming in pain? My, the pain started being alleviated about, about 10 minutes. It started going away. He said, how come you're not screaming in pain? I said, because I prayed. And when I went in to see... Uh, my regular eye doctor, a couple days later, he said that he'd never seen a cornea heal that fast. I had taken a big chunk out of my cornea. And he said he had never seen a cornea heal that fast, ever. So praise Jesus. Isn't it amazing what you can do by faith, young lady? Glory to God. Now then, any time that something happens to us, what is the first thing we should do as Christians? Go to the doctor? Yes, go to the doctor. Who is the doctor? Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and God of gods. You need to, first thing you need to do, you need to get over this mentality of every time you have a pain or something, is to go to an emergency room. You need to go to Jesus. Because let me tell you, folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus is a whole lot faster, he does a whole lot better work, and he's a whole lot cheaper. He doesn't charge for house calls. I love serving Jesus because He heals people. I have never yet, I don't care what it is, whether they get healed of cancer, whether they get healed of a throat problem, I don't care what it is they get healed of, I have never seen somebody come back and say, you know, I got a bill from Jesus in the mail this week. (laughs) And all the thousands of people I've seen Him heal, I've never seen anybody come back and say, Jesus sent me a bill. Isn't he wonderful? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And the very minute that we learn who we are in Christ, then, and we realize the battle is going on on this earth, and the enemy is there to try to take you out. Now the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and to destroy. So when you get a hold of the fact that anything that's stealing, killing, and destroying is coming from the enemy... And the enemy is alive and well in your flesh. Now, I realize a lot of people have a real problem believing that you as a Christian can have a demon living in your flesh. But when you get a hold of the fact that that's what the problem is, that it is demons, and they're there, and you have all power and authority over them, you won't never let them torment you anymore. You'll just take authority over them the very minute one comes to you. You'll take authority over them, kick them out, and Jesus will deliver you and heal you. And I've seen many times, many times, I've seen it with people, just like Sharon yesterday when she prayed over that woman, that woman was instantly healed. But I've seen it many times just like that, even in our own life. Uh, You know, uh, Cheryl, my wife, 
uh, you know, as demons manifest in her, her face breaks out. Uh, a couple times we've had this, uh, and she was she really was kind of panicky the first time she come to me when these things were all broken out on her because we were on a fast. We'd been about three or four days into her fast, <clears throat> and these demons manifest in her body, and big whips come out all over her. And, of course, she came to me. And I rebuked them, commanded them to leave in the name of Jesus. And in just a matter of an hour or so, they were completely gone. All the whelps were gone. But two or three, four days later, they retaliated again. She called me on the phone. These things come back on. They come back with a vengeance. They were worse on her neck, all over her. Again, over the telephone. I rebuked them devils, commanded them to get their hands off of my mate in the name of Jesus. And within a matter of an hour or so, they were all gone again. Totally, completely gone. <clears throat> I think about the brother back here that having trouble talking. Uh, my wife came in one time. She's also a singer, and she was going to sing to several hundred people one evening. And she came in, and when she walked into the study where I was working on a computer, she walked in and she said, Honey, you got to pray for me. I can hardly talk. <laughs> Now, for a lady that's going to sing to 1,200 people tonight, that's not exactly a good thing to happen to you. But she walked in, and when she did, she told me what it was. Of course, if you had seen me do what I did to my lovely bride, you would have thought I had lost my mind. Because I'll do it to Johnny here. He don't care. I reached up and grabbed my wife like this around the throat and started shaking her violently and screaming, Come out of her, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus. Now then, I was pretty violent. you know. And when I turned to loose, I said, Now you're healed in the name of Jesus. She said, Oh, thank you, honey. I can sing beautiful now. And she was instantly delivered just like that. And she went and spoke. Now let me tell you, when you learn what these devils do and how they work and how they attacked us, and even when they don't have legal right to you, they will come and try their best to attach themselves to you. You will be able to cast out these devils. I got a letter from a man just a few days ago that he called me a few weeks ago. And he said, you know, I don't understand. We've been listening to your tapes. He said, my wife is sick. I am sick. My son is on drugs. He said, my son wants to be delivered. I want to be well. And my wife wants to be well, and we have listened to your tapes, and we have repented of everything we can possibly think of, and we know we're not living in no sin. But he said, we can't get well. He said, we're praying, asking, and begging, and pleading God to heal us, and nothing is happening. I said, well, you're doing it all wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you got all your sins repented of, the devil has no legal claim to you. So I said, get rough with him. He said, what do you mean? I have rebuked the devil. I said, no, no, no. I mean get rough with him. He said, what do you mean get rough with him? I said, do you know what Matthew eleven twelve says? He said, well, no, I don't guess I do. I said, it says, since the coming of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven, which is in you and me, has suffered violence. I said, you know who we suffer violence from? He said, the devil. I said, that's right. But I said, Jesus said, the violent take it by force. Now, let me explain to you what that means. One day, a young man come to me on the telephone. He said, Thurman, I know you're a mechanic. And he said, I've got a pickup of mine out here, and I've got a bad tie rod in on the end of it out here, and I cannot figure out how to get that tie rod out of there. I said, no, it's tapered. So when you pull it up in there, it locks in, so there's no slack in it. So I said, you have to take 
and take the nut off of it, and then you put a hammer on one side of the of the uh, bar that comes across, and you take a hammer and hit it on the other side, and it'll spring it, and it'll fall right out. He said, that's the way you get it out? I said, yeah. An hour later, he called back. He said, this thing won't come out. He said, I beat on this thing. I beat on it, and I beat on it. And he said, it don't come out. I said, no problem. You're only five minutes from my house. I'll come right over there. I went over there and got over there, and I looked in there, and it's still in there. I reached in, and I said, uh, where's your hammers? He said, well, there they are. I said, no, them's toys. I want a couple of hammers. Two eight-ounce ball pins. I said, you got anything bigger than that? He said, no. So I went over in my truck. I got about a four-pound hammer out of one toolbox and a two-pound out of there. I went up and I put that in. I, bam! He said, you're going to win it. Bam! And it fell out. I said, when I said, hit it, son, that's what I mean. Hit it. I said, that's the way you do the devil. You don't walk up to the devil and say, Devil, would you come out of my wife, please? No! You grab him by the neck of the neck and say, You beast of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus! You hit the devil with both hands with the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. That's the way you get rid of him. You don't treat him gentle. You treat him rough. And what you do, you kick out the devil. You know, when you get a hold of the fact that your sickness and disease is from the devil, just think, Jesus said in Luke 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth for the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He healed how many? That was oppressed of who? The devil. Who is your enemy? The devil. I want you to think about this scripture when you get all your sins repented of. I want you to think about this scripture. I'm going to show you here in Luke chapter 10 to start off with. I want to show you the power that God's given you over your enemy. Now the first Fifty times I read this chapter, the devil deceived me. It's amazing how this beast can do this to you. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, 19, and 20, I want you to see what the Word of God says. In Luke 10, 18, and Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, where was Satan until this time? He was in heaven. But whenever greed came into his heart, he was perfect in all his ways until greed came into his heart. When greed came into Satan's heart, he said over in the Old Testament, he says, I will exalt my throne above the Most High. You're going to exalt your throne above God's? That's got to be the height of stupidity. The King of kings and the Lord of lords that made you and made everything and you're a made being and you're going to overcome your maker? Let me tell you. Did you know there's a lot of people on the earth today that have that little fear of God? There's people out there in the world have absolutely zero fear of God. And I'm going to tell you, people in the church today have no fear of God. They don't believe God will do anything bad to you. 
They don't believe He'll allow you. They think He's a great, big, lovable sweetheart sitting up there in the clouds, drinking His iced tea, thinking, what am I going to do to these disobedient kids down there? Let me tell you, that's not the God I serve. The God I serve is in control. The God I serve wrote a law. And let me tell you, there's no respect to a person. Anybody breaks this law is going to pay the consequences. You're going to pay the consequences. I'm telling you, if you read this book like I read it, you ain't going to like them when you sin. So you'll straighten your act up. You'll straighten your act up. And I'm going to tell you, not only will you straighten your act up when you learn that the consequences don't only pass down to you, they pass on down to your children. Four generations unless you bring a child into the world out of wedlock, and then it passes down ten generations. If a man believed those things and he was a child of God, I'm going to tell you, he would change the way he handles women. Guarantee you. I made a statement to a group of people the other night, and I'm going to make it to you while we're talking about this. I said, something I've noticed in my life. <clears throat> Children. Man and woman gets married. Both of them unbelievers. Or at least one of them is. They have one or two children, say the first five years of their marriage. At least one of them is an unbeliever. And then the other one, or both of them, get saved. And then the next five years, they have two more children. You will absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be able to tell in a heartbeat which two of those children were born with one of the parents or both of them before they got saved and the ones that got born after the parents got saved. The two that got born later, they will virtually not sow their wild oats, as some people call them. They will be good children. They'll be easy to discipline. They'll walk in obedience to the Word. They'll be good-mannered children at home, easy to train, easy to raise up. They'll never rebel against their parents. But the first two, hard to control, may never come to know Jesus, raised in the same home. Rebellious, evil, get on drugs and alcohol, all kinds of stuff. Makes all the difference in the world. The spirit that's in you when you conceive a child. Let me tell you, if you're a born-again Christian and you've got children or grandchildren and they're going to get married someday, you need to make sure you teach them children. Number one, you need to pray for them. You need to kick the devils out of them. You need to make sure those children get born again at a very early age. Four, five, or six years old would be wonderful. And then you make sure you teach them these principles and make sure those children keep themselves holy and clean and pure and make sure that they only date if they date. And the best thing to do is not date. The best thing is no dating. None whatsoever. Pray and wait for God to bring them a mate. Then you will never make a mistake. But most young men and women today can't. They don't think they can wait. They don't think they can do that. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Scrivener, I'm, a, I'm an old maid, and I know I'll be an old maid forever. i got to go out and date. How old are you, honey? Well, I don't want to tell you. I'm so old. I'm, not, I'm 21. Oh, gosh. 21. And afraid you're going to be an old maid. 21. Well, let me tell you. What should you rather be? 
a woman of God that marries a man of God that God planned for you and have a great blessed life? Or did you rather run around out there and run around and have sex with two or three or four boys, pick up all their soul ties, and live in hell on earth and bring up two or three or four children into the world that's little devils that none of them get saved and they break your heart and everything they do? Which way you want it? I don't want it that way, do you? I want them children to be loving, kind kids. Well, it depends on where you walk as to what kind of children you're going to raise. Amazing, isn't it? You don't have to train a child to be a devil. But you have to train him to be a child of God. Do you agree with that, brother? It takes training to teach them how to love each other, doesn't it? You don't have to teach nobody how to hate. That just comes automatically with the devil's world. <coughs> but this devil that's out there, He's the one making us sick. And He does it by legal right. The Word of God is so clear that if the man and the woman that are married together walk wholly before God, then they've been given the power, the power that we're going to read about here in Luke 10, 19 and 20. Now this power will only work for you if you're walking in a love relationship with your mate and the church, and God. <clears throat> if you're not walking in love, this won't work for you. But if you're walking in love, this power that I'm fixing to read to you will work for you. Come in. Praise the Lord. Listen to what he says here in Luke 10, 19. Behold, who's talking? Jesus. Behold, I, Jesus, give unto you power or authority to tread or to trample on the serpent, the devil, and his scorpions or his demons. <clears throat> and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. <clears throat> Notwithstanding, or nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. From that young lady, how much power did Jesus just give you over the evil spirits? How much? All of it? Really? If he gave you all of it, then why should you let a devil beat upon you and your mate? Huh? Huh? You shouldn't. So if you do, shame on you, right? Now you did say you were Baptist, right? You said it. Oh, I did. Well, I mean, I was one a lot of years, so I like to kid us Baptists because I let the devils beat up on me too long, too. See, I mean, as a Baptist, they never taught me that verse in church. Never even talked about it. I mean, but it's in the Word, isn't it? So if it's in the Word, I believe Jesus put it in there for us Baptists. Methodists, Pentecostals, I don't care if we're, if we're believers, this is supposed to be for us, right, brother? So we can kid each other about being Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal. There's a little lady by the name of Jerry. She's about 80 years old, I think, maybe older. I don't even know how old Miss Jerry is, but she's just a precious daughter of the King. And she's been one of them Holy Ghost-filled, Holy Rollers, Pentecostal all of her life. I mean, she's a really go-getter. 
And she came, started years ago, coming to some of my healing schools. She don't drive anymore, so she has trouble getting people to bring her, so she doesn't get to come very often anymore. But once in a while, she'll get her Pentecostal preacher to bring her. Once in a while, he'll come over here. And you know what she told him after about the, I don't know, I guess after the fourth or fifth time she came, she went back and she got her finger put right in his face and said, Brother, I am ashamed of you. He said, what do you mean? She said, I've been over to a heathen school and there is a Southern Baptist deacon kicking out more devils and more sick people healed. And we are, and we're supposed to be Pentecostal holy rollers. Said, we're supposed to be able to get people saved, healed, and delivered. And said, there's a Baptist deacon that's doing a better job than we are. And she was reading her preacher the riot act. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She was smart enough to know that we as preachers are supposed to be preaching the Word. And we're supposed to be seeing people not only saved, but healed and delivered. We're supposed to be seeing a demonstration of the Spirit's power within our churches. But if you don't know how the, who the enemy is, you won't never see it. Believe me, I was a member of a Baptist church for many a year. And that devil beat up on me right and left, and I had no idea he was beating up on me. And I never dreamed I could cast out a devil. But now that I've learned who that beast is, I am not afraid of the devil no more. Not at all. So when he comes to my house, I just kick him out. So anyway, this guy that I was telling about wrote me the letter a while ago when I told him you got to get rough with the devil. And you got this kind of power. When he wrote me this letter, he said, that telephone conversation that day changed my life forever. He said, not only has my wife been set free, I've been set free, and my son has been set free. He said, I took what you said when I looked and found that Matthew eleven twelve really said what you said it did. He said, I got rough with that devil, and I kicked him out of everybody in our house. Isn't that amazing? His son's free, he's free, and his wife's free. And all that time, the devil had been beating up on him. And he's praying and asking God to heal him. And God says, son, I already healed you 2,000 years ago. You need to get rid of that beast. Well, God, would you say something about the devil? He said, no, I told you to kick him out in my name. If you won't let him maul around on you and kill you, you can, can't you, Johnny? Right. You ain't going to do that either, are you? No, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Now, if Jesus said, behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread or to trample on serpents, which is the devil, and scorpions, his demons, those that pierce the body, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, what are you going to do with that as a Christian? What are you going to do with that? You can't see this beast. He's invisible. Doesn't he make you feel stupid? Whenever you turn and something's afflicting you, hurting you, and you got pain, and you look at that pain and you say, you devil of hell, come out of me in the name of Jesus. It's just like there's a gentleman from Oklahoma City. He's a district attorney. He got a hold of this teaching. Somebody gave him some of my tapes and his wife had had migraines for years and had high blood pressure for years. He came, after he listened to several of my teachings, he come down here to a couple of healing schools. He didn't introduce himself. I didn't know who he was. But he came to study from Oklahoma City. And after he really got a hold, he said, I think he said he went off up in the mountains or somewhere and spent three days just listening to these teachings. Just him and God. And he said after that he had such faith, he came down and said he walked up to his wife and 
she was just all bent over having a problem. He said, what's wrong with you? She said, I've got one of the migraine headaches I've had for years. He said, I just reached up, put my hands on her head and screamed, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And he said, she said, wow, my pain just left. So he said she didn't have another headache for two or three or four days or whatever it was. And he said, one day walked in, she said, wow, this is awesome, not a single headache. He said, you know, that high blood pressure has got to be a demon too. So I reached up and throwed my hand on my wife's chest and said, you devil of hell, come out of her heart in the name of Jesus. He said, Lord, thank you for making that blood pressure perfect. He said, the next day we checked her blood pressure and it's perfect. He said, every day from then till now, when we have checked, it's been perfect. I said, brother, did you say you're the district attorney? He said, yes, I am. I said, you better be careful who you tell that story to in your office in the courthouse. He said, let me tell you, I have to be careful who I tell that story to in my church. I thought, how sad that we don't believe this word. The church don't believe the word of God. But we're going to start believing the word of God. Because this is what's written in the word of God. How much power did Jesus say he gave you over the devil and his demons? Does there, is there anybody in this play know what the three-letter word A-L-L means? What does that mean? All? I mean, is there not any way you can cut that or slice it, but what it means all, right? Everything. If you and I, as children of God, have been given all power and all authority over the devil, he shall in no wise hurt us as children of God. Why do we let this beast run over us? You ever stop to think about that? Well, I'm going to tell you. We do it because of a lack of knowledge. I let him beat up on me, run over me for 45 years of my life. I can remember as a little child laying in that little bed at home with splitting migraine headaches, crying because my head hurt so bad. Never dreaming it was a demon. My little sister at two months died with pneumonia. At a four-year-old, she was four years younger than me. I never saw her because I was born after four years after she died. Right after she was born, a devil of hell somehow, for some reason, now I don't know what that is, but somehow, mother or daddy sinned somehow and opened the door to that devil. And that devil come on that, came on that little girl and put that pneumonia on her. And they tried everything they knew to doctor her. And still she died. And you know what the excuse was? We must have got her a little too cool with the water when we tried to bathe her. That's the only thing they could think about. That caused the pneumonia to kill her. I'm going to tell you there was something wrong somewhere because the Word of God says in Proverbs 26 2, no curse comes upon you undeserved. My daddy was a Baptist and my mother was a Baptist. But my daddy had no knowledge of the things I teach today. My mother, she didn't have any knowledge of these things either. Why should she? She was raised in a Baptist church just like I was. And nobody ever talked about demons. Nobody ever talked about what caused sickness and disease. Nobody ever talked about Jesus healing the sick. It was not taught. And I only spent 65 years of my life in a Baptist church, so I do know what I'm talking about when I say a Baptist church. But I want to tell you, it's almost getting that bad in a Pentecostal church today. It's almost that bad. There's a few 
little churches all over the country that God's still got his anointing power on. But the majority of us have stopped believing the enemy and stopped believing what sin is. When you've got a church that is big, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 strong, and you go to a church with 10,000 people and two or three of you walking together and you're the only ones you see in the building that's got a Bible with you, something's wrong with that church. Serious. You know there's churches like, right, like that right here in the Metroplex? And I know people in those churches that are serving in offices in those churches that are living with someone out of wedlock. And you don't think it's wrong. Something wrong with what's being taught in that church. How many of y'all here today know that fornication or adultery is wrong? Any of y'all believe that's wrong? Okay. Some of you held to be in, some of you didn't, so I don't know what you I don't know. You know. But I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell I'm gonna put my hand up high because I'm gonna tell you that's sin. That's sin. If you don't believe it is, before you get leave here today, you better come talk to me because you're, if you're going to do that, you're going to be in trouble. I guarantee. Because this verse right here, which is so powerful, only works if you're an obedient child of God. If you are not obedient, this verse will not work for you. So don't you dare try to cast a demon out of someone if you've got a sin in your life. Because they will tear you up. They'll make you sick. They'll afflict you. They'll do all kinds of things to you. But if you are walking in obedience to God's word, this is the kind of power the king has given to you. Now then, if you've got somebody that's sick or afflicted and they've got their sins repented, turn back just a few pages to Mark and I want to show you what the king says that we should be able to do to these demons. In Mark 16, now, as a Southern Baptist, me and you, which were Southern Baptists, I didn't know this verse is in the Bible for many a year, brother. So, if I cover verses today, you don't know what's in there, don't feel like a Lone Ranger, because I didn't know them either. In fact, I had a couple, just a beautiful couple, uh, that come, started coming to my healing schools four or five years ago, and they were Southern Baptists just like I was, and that's why they come to the healing schools. They heard I was a Baptist, so they started coming over. And when I got to this verse that day, after I read this, and we talked about this two or three times. I asked Jeff. I said, Jeff, did you know you could cast out a demon? Now, he was a deacon in the church and everything else. And he said, Thurman, I've never read that verse, never seen that verse in my life till today. I did not know that verse in the Bible. He said, no, I've read it. Now, how could a man in the church as a deacon, like me and like him, read these kind of things and they not register? How can that happen? We've got an enemy. And the enemy. Let me ask you all this very simple question. How many of y'all have ever sat down and read at least a chapter of God's Word at one time? Hold up your hand. How many of you have done that? You sat down and read a chapter. Okay, let me ask you this question. In those chapters, how many of you have ever sat down and read a chapter, and when you got through with it, didn't remember one single word that you read? Yes. How many of you have done that too? Me too, huh? So, how, why is it you can do that? How can you sit down and read a chapter and not be able to retain not one single word? 
But yet you can sit down and read a novel that's 300 pages long and tell me the whole cotton-picking story when you get through. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some guy said, boy, I just read this book. And this thing, I said, how thick? Well, oh, it's only a little book, only about 300 pages. Only took me three afternoons to read it. But man, it's about this. Starts out like this. Goes like this. Tells me this. And it takes him 30 minutes to tell you the story. Man, what he remembered. I said, I, I got something. Come over here. Let me read it. You're su- you have such a great memory. Let me read one chapter of the Word of God. And let me let get you to tell me what it says. And I read one chapter and he can't tell me nothing. I quote it. He don't remember nothing. Isn't that amazing? But we as Christians have all done that, haven't we? We've all done that. Guess what the enemy does when you get to a verse like this. When you begin to approach these kind of verses. That demon of hell is right there beside you. And he's putting thoughts in your mind. For a woman... You start approaching this, he'll say, but you hadn't done the laundry yet. You didn't wash the dishes yet. You know, you got to go shopping tomorrow. You know, the, store, the sale on tomorrow. What you, and he'll do everything in your mind to mess it up until you get past these verses. When you get past, he says, i got her past them one more time. i got her mind all cluttered up. She don't remember a thing she read. About that time I walk in, I say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm reading the Bible. What are you reading? Well, I'm reading Mark chapter 16. Anything in there jump off the page at you? No. Just good stuff. What did Jesus say you could do in there? Oh, I don't know. Just normal stuff. <laughs> yeah, normal stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. Look what the king says, starting in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, who do you say to do that to? How, who is it supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel? Who? We are. No, that's got to be for the preacher. That's got to be for the deacons. That couldn't be for just us. No, he's telling you and me as we go, we are to preach. If you leave the gospel up to the preachers, there ain't enough of us to get them all saved, are there, brother? There ain't enough of us to get them all saved. Not enough of us to get them all healed. We're supposed to, you, you hear what Sharon does? She's in a grocery store somewhere with a woman, and she's got this problem, and she's learned what to do. And to think... That that little daughter of the king has the audacity to think that God would answer her prayer and heal a woman when she anoints her with oil? That girl's lost it, hasn't she? She's lost it good, though, hasn't she? She believes Jesus. And when she anointed that woman with oil and Jesus healed her, woo! Isn't that wonderful? Just think if all of us would do what she does. Think what we could do. All of us need to be about the king's business. When you understand... Like Cheryl. Cheryl, she gets so upset, she comes home, she'll go over to Christie's restaurant and, and she sings over there every Friday or Saturday or whatever with her daughter. Her daughter bought a restaurant and she'll see somebody in there she knows or something at break and they're sick or whatever. And she said, let me pray for you and God will heal you. And I said, that's okay, Cheryl. Let's talk about something else. She comes home and says, honey, what is wrong with these people? I said, the same thing wrong with everybody else. They don't believe God. See, she's learned the word works. She's seen so many people healed. She wants to pay for everybody. But they won't let her. Oh, some of them do. Some of them will. I mean, I remember one day that even in her own family, we were over there at the house and one of her aunts, uncles, whatever she, cousins, I mean, or whatever she was, I don't remember. It was your aunt. And she had a serious problem. And she went over and asked her aunt if I could pray for her. And Cheryl thought she said yes. 
So she came and got me and said, honey, I want you to pray for my aunt. And said, I think she said, you said she was a Catholic or something, right? Honey? I went over and said, ma'am, I want to pray for you. She said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want you to pray for me. She said, what? I thought you said he could. She said, oh, no, no, no. I don't want no prayer from you. So I turned and walked off. And then there was another lady come up there. And she had a, a, what, a spider bite or something on her arm, wasn't it? Yeah. And her arm was all swelled up. And she said, could, could my husband pray for you? And she said, well, sure. So I said, do you got to believe? Oh, well, yeah, I know. You know, If it's God's will, I'll be healed. I said, no, no, no. I reached over and forcefully prayed for her in the name of Jesus. And the ne- was it the next day? That night? Uh, I mean, then when she went over to that wedding... She was completely healed. You know, if we would just get to where we would believe God. You know, I think about this gentleman Sunday. They came in here and I asked for testimonies. And he came in and he said, I'm a church of Christ. But he said, I, w- I got a hold of your information. And I got a hold of James 5, 14, 15. Now see, James 5, 14, 15 says, is any sick among you? Is any sick among you? Who's that include? Who's any? I mean, what do we not understand about this? Is any sick among you? Wait a minute, now it can't be what that says, right? Let's read this first, then we'll go over there. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. You know what I'm going to do one of these days before long? I'm going to bring a movie that I saw, a graphic detail about what Hollywood thinks hell is. And I'm telling you, that movie is so awesome, I'm going to show that movie up here somewhere. Not the movie. I'm going to show excerpts from the movie. I'm going to show you pictures of these grotesque-looking demons. And I'm going to tell you, some of the men that come up with those ideas must have been on hallucinogenic drugs because those critters probably are real. They've probably seen them. And there's people in the fires and the flames of hell. And there's demons coming and getting. And the people are screaming. And they're picking up demons on throwing them down and beating on them. And this is in that movie. You get a picture of that. You won't never let somebody go by you again without talking to them about Jesus. Because that's where everybody's going that don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe hell's real. If you've got a maid and you don't know they're born again and you believe there's a real hell, there's something wrong with you. If you're not talking to them about Jesus, if you're not praying for them, you don't believe there's a hell. Can you imagine going into the flames of hell forever? And that's where everybody's going to go. Don't believe in Jesus. And yet, I talk to men. I walk up to a woman. Lots of times. I say, you married? Yeah. How long have you been married? Forty years. Where's your husband? No, he's at home. Does he go to church? No, he don't go. Is he a Christian? I don't know. Only been married to him forty years. Probably raised four kids and got ten grandchildren and don't have a clue who was saved or lost in their family. And we call ourselves Christians. Let me tell you, we don't know nothing about this book. That's why we don't get healed. But look what the Lord says now in the next verse. Now, this is really foreign to the Baptist church because I was raised up in a Baptist church. But I've now come to realize this is foreign to lots of churches. But Jesus said it. So if Jesus said it, I feel like I'm on safe ground, quoting the king. 
Jesus said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Now you notice he said them that believe. Do you know what's worse? There's not anything worse than an unbelieving believer. You, you see where I'm coming from? How would you like to be a, a church member and be an unbeliever? But yet you say you're a believer. You know what Jesus said about the children of Israel? He brought out that walked around the mountain for 40 years. He said because of their unbelief, they would none of them enter His rest. And He said because you have an evil heart of unbelief, none of you shall enter My rest. That's a scary thought. If you don't enter His rest, what do you enter into? The flames of hell. Is that scary? That's a whole lot more scary than being sick and needing to be healed. One thing to need healing, but another thing to be lost and going to hell. But it's sad. But look what Jesus said we can do. And these signs shall follow them that believe. I think it's time the church become a group of believing believers. What do you say the first thing you can do? In my name you shall do what? Cast out devils. In Luke, how much power did he say you had over a devil, brother? So there ain't no use to fear these critters, is there? If Jesus is the one talking in both cases, I have no fear. Do you? I mean, he is mine and your king, right? Amen. Amen. At least we agree on that. Me and him are good Baptists. <laughs> good Baptists. We believe Jesus is our king, right, young man? I don't care if we Baptist, Methodist, what we are. Long Jesus is our king. Now, now, I had a man here the other day. He said, I asked him, he, I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then I asked, or do you believe Jesus is Lord? No, I don't believe he's Lord. I don't believe he's God. I said, but the word of God says he is. He said, but that old book, you can't trust that book. Woo-hoo. He was with a woman. And he was, she was wanting to marry this man. I told her, I looked at her right now. I said, ma'am, you are hooked up to a devil. This man is a devil. And I said, you need to disconnect your him, self from him immediately. Don't you dare marry him because if you do, you're going to move in the house with a devil. And she said, I know what i got to do. She said, she looked at him and said, if you loved me, you would change. He said, if you loved me, you would change. And she said, I can't turn my back on Jesus. I told her, I said, ma'am, that's a devil. That man's got a devil in him. His eyes are blinded. And you need to get as far as him as you can get. As quick as you can get there. And I said it in his presence. And I meant every word of it too. I know what I'm dealing with on this earth. And it's the devil. You know what kind of marriage you have when a devil moves in with a woman of God? You've probably experienced a few of those in your church, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I've seen it over and over. And guess what? Those women that think they can't live without that man, they marry that devil, it ain't long. They wish that devil was dead, I guarantee you. (laughs) Because that devil will manifest. Some of you women in here may be married to one of them devils. (laughs) You may know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, you might not have known when you were a young girl that you're not to be unequally yoked. Well, let me tell you. If you get unequally yoked with a devil, you're in real trouble as a woman. Because you got a real trouble when you got a man that's supposed to be the priest to your home and he's a devil. He's going to block your prayers and everything else and you're going to have trouble getting your prayers answered. 
In fact, I'm going to tell you, if you're a woman of God and you've got a husband and he's a Christian, but he don't believe these things, you're going to have trouble getting healed too. Because every woman is supposed to be subject in all things to their husband. So when a woman has a need, she is to never go around her husband in prayer for her own self. She is to go through her priest. We had an experience like that in our own home. Cheryl didn't know this. Just a few weeks ago, 2 o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up. She says, honey, you got to pray for me. i got a fire in my stomach. She said, the lower part of my body is burning like fire. And she said, I can't sleep. I said, how long you had it? She said, the last couple of days. I said, why in the world have you waited two days to tell me? She said, well, I thought I'd get it done myself. I'm praying for myself. I have faith. I said, you're in total rebellion to God. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm your priest. He told you to be subject to me in all things. I said, now that's why you're not getting anything from God. That's why that devil's not leaving you. Because you're disobedient. I said, now repent. She said, Lord, I repent. I reached over in her stomach, laid my hand on her stomach. I said, you devil of hell, leave her now in the name of Jesus. And bam, it fire left her and she was instantly healed. Instantly healed. I mean, in five minutes, she was sound asleep. Next morning, she woke up. And she walked into the bathroom. She had a little tiny zip right there between her eyes. She wouldn't even pray for that. She covered me coming, honey, pray for that little thing that it'll go away. <laughs> she learned her lesson, see. Praise God. I mean, she'd been praying for something for two days and didn't get her answer. And her priest prayed before she got healed just like that. See? But women don't understand the Word of God. You're supposed to go through your husband. Now, what if your husband is not walking in obedience to God's Word. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because God's not going to answer the prayer. You're in trouble. So that's why so many people are sick and afflicted. They don't do things according to what the Word says. But the Lord says there, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. You shall cast out devils. And He also says you shall speak with new tongues. I know a whole lot of people don't believe in tongues today, but the, the Bible teaches it. So if you've got that gift and you speak in tongues and you use that, that's wonderful. Praise God. Keep it up. Because when you're praying in tongues, that's Jesus praying through you. Let Him talk. Glory to God. Let Him speak. Don't put Him down. Don't believe it don't work, because if you don't, He certainly won't use you in that light. He can get great and awesome things done if you do it His way. So when you lay hands on your mate, when she told me she had that fire in her stomach, I knew what was wrong with her. I knew it was a devil of hell attacked her. And so when I laid my hands on her stomach, I said, You devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And I didn't do it soft and gentle. I might have just come from a... I mean, I was really in a good sleep. But she couldn't sleep, so when she punched me in the side and said, Honey, wake up, i got to have some help. And when she told me what was wrong with her, I mean, I was wide awake, threw my hand on that stomach, commanded that devil to leave in the name of Jesus, and I did it forceful. And I mean, he left in a heartbeat. How much power did the Lord say we had over the devil? Oh, must be just a little. Maybe a tiny little bit. Or maybe none. Oh, okay. Okay, your Bible read just like mine did, didn't it? Then he says, And after these signs shall follow my, uh, them that believe you shall cast out devils in my name, 
He says in verse 18, you shall take up the serpent. Who is the serpent? The devil. Hey, you can hold that beast in your hand. If he don't have legal right to you, what can he do to you? Nothing. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Only you have to be afraid of him whenever you sinned. If you don't sin, he can't touch you. The Word of God says that. He cannot touch you. So you don't have to be afraid of the devil unless you've sinned. It's kind of like, let's put it this way. How many of you have ever, well, I won't ask you to hold your hand up, but those of you that have raised children, you give your children a set of rules. They come in and they're not afraid of daddy. Everything's going good. But during the day with mama, uh, one or two of them really broke the rules. And Mama said, you wait till your daddy gets home this afternoon and I'm going to tell him what you did. Those kids are going to be very scarce when dad comes in this afternoon. And when he does walk into the room where they are, they're in terror. Because if he's a good daddy and they've really broke the rules and they've really given Mama a hard time, that daddy's going to bust their little bottom because they've been disobedient to Mama. I had a man of God this last week tell me, he said, when my son got 14, this is one of the most godly men I know, and he has a godly wife. I know both of them for years. He said, when my son got 14 one day, my wife said something to him and said he just raised up and done what he had never done, and he really spoke to my wife short. He said that afternoon when I got home, my wife told me what my son did. He said, I called his name and said, son, come out of the backyard with me. He said, my son walked out there and said, I put my arm around his neck. And I looked at him and said, mother said, you said these dirty words to her today. Did you say that? He said, well, I guess I did. He said, son... I'm never going to tell you this again. Have you ever heard me speak like that to your mother? He said, no, Daddy. He said, if you ever speak to your mother like that again, since you're 14 and you're a man, he said, I won't use a switch on you. But he said, I'm going to take that fist and I'm going to knock you out. He said, you don't talk to your mother and my wife like that. I will lay you on the ground with that if you ever do that again. Do you understand me? And he said, my son is a grown man now, and he ain't never spoke another word to my wife or his mother. The Lord says, you must demand that your children respect you. See, there's a consequence, isn't there? You think that boy ever forgot that? No. He may be a grown man, but he still respects his mother. Because he knows his daddy demands it. But that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to respect our God. And how many Christians do you know that take the Lord's name in vain? I would be so afraid to do that. I would be afraid he would kill me. Did you know he says in his word... That if you take his name in vain, that sin will not go unpunished. You want to know why people are sick and afflicted? Because they break his rules. Isn't that amazing? And the one man I'm thinking about, he was already so far gone when I got there. His body was swelled and the doctor walked up to his wife. He was comatose when she called me and asked me to come pray for him. 
when I walked up there, the doctor told her while I was standing there talking to her, said, everything in his body has already failed. His kidneys are now failing, but we're going to try to keep him comfortable till he passes away. He's that far gone. And I said, ma'am, is he a Christian? 25 or 30 years she'd been married to this man. You know what her answer was? He's a Catholic. I said, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a Methodist. I said, does either one of you know who Jesus is? She said, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I said, how about him? She said, I don't know. What does that tell you about their spiritual walk together in 20 or 25 years? It was zero. I said, have you confessed your sins lately? She says, like what? And the first thing came out of my mouth, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Oh, she said, yes. I said, has he ever taken the Lord's name in vain? She said, many times. I said, do you not know that the Word of God says that sin will not go unpunished? I said, he could be laying on his deathbed because of that sin. I said, now God's merciful and he'll forgive you. I said, if you'll ask the Lord to forgive you and him both, I said, he'll forgive you all. And so she did. And then I went over and took this verse right here that we're reading in Mark 16. And I opened my Bible and I laid these two verses, laid it right on there, and I reached up and put both hands on his right arm, on that big old swelled arm. And this guy's totally comatose. And I said, you devil of hell, you can hear me. I called his name and I said, I know you can't hear me in the flesh, but in your spirit you can. I said, you devil of hell, his wife has repented for their sins and I said, I am rebuking you and driving you out according to Mark 16, 17, and 18. I am demanding every devil of infirmity to come out of you and to leave him now and to never return in the name of Jesus. I said, now, Lord, you told me to lay hands on him and he will be healed. Did Jesus say that? You shall take up serpents. And he says, and if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you at all. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's too simple, isn't it? So we can't believe that. We've got to go to a doctor. We've got to have surgery. We've got to have medicine. It couldn't be so simple that you could lay your hands on your mate, or put your hands on your throat, and command a demon to leave you, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that spirit of hell, that spirit of infirmity, commanded to come out of you now in the name of Jesus and never enter you again in Jesus' name. Now he did say, lay hands. So in the name of Jesus, young lady, you are healed. In the name of Jesus. What did the king say do? Drive out the devil and lay hands on him and, they'll do, and he'll do what? What did he say? They'll recover. Isn't that difficult? But did the king say that, brother? One Baptist to another. We are, we are men of the book, right? We believe the Word. We believe the Word. That's one thing I can say about us Baptists. Praise God. We believe, when we do read it, we believe it. We've had to beat it into us 40 or 50 times, but we're going to get it sooner or later. I'm kidding. My Baptist brother here, he's just like I was, I guarantee you. I mean, isn't it terrible that we're like that as people? 
I mean, I was. I was a Baptist deacon, a Sunday school teacher. I mean, I was a believer. I went to church every time the door was open, and sometimes when it wasn't open, I stopped by there. But I didn't know none of these things. I had never seen anybody healed or delivered or nothing. But one day when I began to read this book for myself, I thought, Woo! And these signs should follow them that believe. I guess I better become a believer. It says the believers can cast out devils, didn't it? And it says the believers, it says no deadly poison shall hurt you. I mean, did it really say that? Surely, it couldn't say that. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. How in the world would you make something like that work for you? Let's say, for instance, now I'm, my brother Bruce over here, I spent some time with him and his lovely bride Debbie yesterday, and he just, he just flung flat out told me he don't have the faith to do this yet. He said, I'm getting there, but I'm not there, and this is what I'm going to tell you. What if the, the, Did that say no deadly thing will hurt you? And who was it that said that? I mean, it was only Jesus, right? Now, this ain't some fly-by-night cowboy. This ain't Thurman Scribner talking. <laughs> this is the king of kings. It's his word. We're trusting our soul to this God, right? And he says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Do you believe that? Huh? Do you? Well, so why can't we believe at all? You see? So, I said, what if we're in a room and there's a bunch of rattlesnakes in here? And you walk in that room and you step on one of them's tail. And all of a sudden you feel that spongy little thing down there. And you look down just as he comes around and says, Get you right on the leg. And then big old fangs are that big. you know, And his head's that big around. He says, Whoop! What's the first thing you're going to do? You know what Bruce said he's going to do? He's going to run to the doctor. <laughs> Isn't that right, Bruce? <laughs> but see, what does the Word of God say? What will hurt you? What about deadly poison? It, it, what, it won't hurt you at all? Uh, no. No, it says you should. No, no, no. It couldn't mean that, though. Could it? If the Word of God says no deadly poison shall hurt you, why in the world don't we believe that? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, I'm just questioning my Baptist brother here. You know, I mean, after all, Jesus once said this, and we're just talking about His Word, right, brother? I mean, if Jesus said, he, me a good Baptist... You and me definitely believe when he said, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe your heart, you'll be saved. We got that down pat, hadn't we, brother? Man, we got that part. We got that. Why have we got that? Because we hear that every Sunday, right? Almost. I mean, they pounded that into me in the Baptist church. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you'll be saved. I mean, they pounded that into me and pounded. I mean, if somebody asked me, are you born again? I say, absolutely. Why? Because Jesus said, I confess with my mouth and believe my heart, I'm saved. Well, you think you can cast out a devil? A what? <laughs> a devil? Oh, them's the things that Jesus cast out when He was here. Oh, yeah, I remember reading about them devils in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But do you believe you can cast out one? Oh, don't talk to me about the devil. I don't want to make him mad. I'm afraid he might hurt me. Isn't that amazing? How much power did I have over the devil? See, that's where I think I need to do a... Very serious, intensive word search of what ALL means because it's obvious we don't know what it means. All power is given to me and you over the enemy. 
and he has to, he goes a little further. He said the enemy had to be subject to you. What does it mean that the enemy has to be subject to you? He has to obey you when you speak in faith. When I laid my hand on my bride's stomach the other night and rebuked that devil, commanded him to leave, what did he have to do? Because we had no sin in our life that we knew of. We're both walking in a love relationship. We're not doing nothing wrong. But he just come by and attacked my wife and said, I'll just put a little hurt on her. And she tried to pray. She tried to rebuke him. And he's sitting there saying, ha, ha, I don't have to leave because she's rebellious. She's not being obedient to the Word. But she didn't know that. But when I explained it to her, she said, honey, I didn't know that. What do you women not understand when God says you are to be subject to your own husband in everything? You've read that, haven't you? How many disobedient or rebellious women do we have in this room? Probably 100% of us. Old occasions. <laughs> you all, all know where I'm coming from, don't you? There's times when you don't do what God told you to do. Now, guess what? He's no respecter of persons. So if you don't do what God says... I mean, we had a lady right here in this church that when she came here, she's got one of the most awesome testimonies you can imagine. When she came here, she had had three lost children. She, three of them. She'd lost them. Yeah, miscarriages. Three babies had been miscarried. And she had three living sons, and all three of them were sick. And one of them had a serious injury in his leg, and the other leg was deteriorating. And the doctor said, this boy, in just a few, maybe another year or two, is going to be an invalid, and he's never going to walk. And when she came to me, she said, what? I need healing. I said, let me ask you about your life between you and your husband. I said, how is it? She said, well, we're just about this close to a divorce. I said, okay, that's what I thought. I said, you're not loving your husband. She said, it's impossible to love my husband. I said, you're not submitting to him. She said, no, that's right. I said, I've had a grudge against him since the first year we got married. And I said, oh, you got unforgiveness in your heart. She said, absolutely. I said, do you know you've been turned over to the devil? She says, what do you mean? I said, when you walk down unforgiveness, you open a door to the demonic spirits to your entire family. And the devil's coming. He's attacking you, your marriage, now your children. You've had three miscarriages. You've allowed him to kill three kids and three more, and he's going to do the same thing to all of you because of your unforgiveness. And she thought I was crazy. Yet she went to a huge church here in the Metroplex. <clears throat> After about second or third time here, she came back. Then she went to God and she said, Now, Lord, wait a minute. She said, Lord, I don't understand this. This guy's got to be crazy. Because of my sin of unbelief, it couldn't cause my husband to be where he is and all my children to be sick and me to lose three children with miscarriage. And the Lord spoke to her. He said, Terry, do you know what I mean when I said for you to submit to me? Well, she said, Lord, I think I do. He said, check it out. So she'd done all kinds of research on the word submit. And she finally came back to God and she said, Lord, the best I can tell, the word submit means to obey. He said, you're exactly right. But she said, Lord, I don't have a problem obeying you. He said, what do you think I meant when I told you to submit to your husband? 
She said, submit to my husband. She said, Lord, over his dead body will I submit to him. He said, if you keep going where you are, your children will all be destroyed. So she repented. She walked into her husband that night and he's ready for a divorce. And she walks in and says, we got to have a talk. And he said, well, I knew it was over. I knew we were fixing to have a divorce. And she walked in and said, I'm sorry. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I'll be submissive to you. I'll do anything you tell me to do. And her husband liked to fell out. <laughs> but they started a life over right there. And she started submitting to her husband. And now the marriage, they're on fire for each other. They're walking in a love relationship. And the boy that had one leg surgery done and excruciating painful surgery and the other leg was beyond being able to have surgery on it. Three months later, they're going to go back to the doctor have this one checked. And when they were going to go back to have it checked, the Lord spoke to her that day and said, Today when you go back, you will be put to the test. She didn't have a clue what that meant until she got there and they checked the boy. The leg that they'd done the surgery on was so far beyond what they thought it would ever be on recovery. But the other leg, which was beyond repair, was way back up where it could have been repaired by doctors now. And so the doctor said, we don't understand this. But we want to do surgery now. We would have never done surgery on the other leg. But now we want to do surgery on that leg. And she says, this is what the Lord meant when He said we're going to be put to the test. She says, no. The little boy screamed, Mama, please let him do the surgery so I won't be an invalid. She said, I've repented of my sin. Now I understand what's causing your problem. And I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to get well without the surgery. And they would not do the surgery. And let me tell you today, that family is on fire for Jesus. And all three of them boys are totally, completely well. And that boy that was going to be an invalid, when he comes to that door, he's ready to preach the gospel. All because of mama's sin of unforgiveness. Oh yeah, he even plays football now. Yeah, A boy was going to be an invalid. Who would ever dream that your sin of unforgiveness as a mother or father could open the door to the devil to your children and your bank account and everything you have? Plus, let me tell you something else while we're talking about these things in the church. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, let me ask you this question before we go to these Scriptures. Do you think that Jesus would allow you to come into His heaven if you were not forgiven for your sins? I don't believe He would. Do you? So if you have to be forgiven to get to heaven, which say, I'm washed in the blood. Let me take you somewhere to show you why so many people are sick. This got this girl healed. Where we're at there in Mark 16, turn back to Mark 11. And let me show you some very, very powerful scriptures that, as a rule, do not work for most of the church. Now, here's, two, here's a set of scriptures that me, as a Baptist deacon, Sunday school teacher, and been in a Baptist church all my life, I never one time heard these verses preached on. I never taught on them in a Sunday school class that I remember ever in my life. I don't understand why. 
But the information that come down from Nashville never covered these verses. Listen to them. Mark 11. Starting with verse 14. Actually, let me back up a couple of verses to 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, the tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. He spoke negatively to that tree. He cursed it. You think, wow, that's strange. Talking to a tree, you've got to be a funny guy to talk to a tree. Now you'd be amazed what you can do when you talk. Because Jesus gave us some examples of what happens when we talk. And he said, after he spoke to that tree, verse 15, after that they went to Jerusalem, and they cleansed the temple and done all those things. And in verse 20, it says, In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. What do you mean he cursed it? You spoke negatively to it? I know none of y'all have ever, ever said this either to yourself or to your children. Don't you dare run out there on that cold, wet ground barefooted. You'll catch a death of cold. Now, I know none of y'all ever did anything like that as Christians. You would never make a negative statement like that, would you? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here's this Southern Baptist girl up here just like me. She's got to hold her. I mean, I had to do the same thing, young lady. I guarantee. I learned these things the hard way. I mean, I, I began to get a hold of these things. But Jesus is giving us an example here. Did He speak to that tree and it died? He did. Well, Peter said, Lord, you cursed the tree. When you spoke negative to it, you cursed it. Well, if Jesus spoke to a tree and it died, and then look what he says in verse 22. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Who are we supposed to have faith in? God. God. Sure. So if we have faith in God, we're children of God. He says, For verily or truly I say unto you that whosoever... Who does that include in the church? But see, he's really not only talking to the church. He's talking to everybody. The whole world. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. 
if you didn't believe your child was going to be sick walking on that damp ground with their bare feet, you wouldn't have said what you said. So you had faith in what you said would come to pass. And guess what? Your children get sick. You, pay, you start paying attention to your words. When you get a hold of your words, as a, especially as a daughter of the king, a child of God, a child of God can have faith in God, can't we? Now, people that are not children of God, he's speaking to everybody, but only those obedient children of God can have faith in God. Because if that wasn't true, then anybody on the earth could walk up and say, Oh, God. You said I can have whatever I say. I want a new Lexus right there paid for right now in the name of Jesus. And guess what he'd have to do? He'd have to manifest it for you. But he limited it to those of us that will have faith in God and not doubt in our heart. If you have faith in God with no doubt in your heart, think about what he said there. In verse 23, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. What can you have? Whatever you say. So if you say, I am depressed, what are you going to have? You're going to be depressed. If you say, oh, I am so weak. And I know none of you all have ever been guilty of this. You get past 40. You wake up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, I'm so old. I didn't get enough sleep last night. I only had 8 hours, 12 hours last night. That's all I had. I know I ain't going to make it today. i got to have a nap right after lunch. Do we ever say those kind of things? <laughs> what did Jesus say you could have? What did He say you could have? Whatever you say? It, and that's scary, isn't it? It does really become scary, doesn't it? Especially when you know you're like me. You've said the wrong thing so many times. Let me tell you. I start, when I learned these things, I started watching what I say. Because you know you're going to have what you say. With your mouth. Now then, if you get bit by a poisonous snake, that rattlesnake bites you, or a poisonous spider bites you, what is the first thing the average Christian is going to do? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? To the, which doctor? The medical doctor. <laughs> That's where we are. I've been right there with you most of my life. But not anymore. Not anymore. Did Jesus say no deadly poison would hurt me? I mean, now, okay, now can he lie? Okay, if he's the king, but he's a faith God, he expects me to believe what he says, right? Does he expect me to believe it like this? Oh, God, if it be your will, I hope this poison don't hurt me. What did he say that poison wouldn't do? He said it won't hurt me. Now then, if he said that poison won't hurt me, let's say, uh, how many of you know what a brown recluse spider is? You know they're deadly? What if one of them bites you on the arm? What are you going to do? Run to the doctor. No, no, no. I've got faith. I'm going to wait. I'm not going anywhere. 
and in four hours your arm's that big around. Now what are you going to do? Go to the doctor. Let's <laughs> see, the devil just got you, didn't he? Y'all see where I'm coming from? You see what it takes to believe God? You see why so few people walk in faith? See, you don't believe what the Word says. The Lord says in Psalms 103, I forgive all of your iniquities or all of your sins when you ask me. Do you believe that? Sure we do. So I ask Him, I repent, Lord, I'm forgiven. I mean, we do a good job on that as Baptists, don't we? Absolutely. But the next line, He says, and I also heal all of your diseases. Oops, there's that three-letter word, A-L-L, again. I heal how many of your diseases? All. Do you believe that? Amen. So when you believe it all, if He heals all of your diseases, then if that spider bites you and He says no deadly poison shall hurt you, what do you got to do? You got to believe that. But your arm's sweating up. No problem. Thank you, Lord. I'm healed because it's written in the Word. The devil says, oh, you fool. You've lost it. Look at that knot on you. You're going to lose that arm. Oh, he's good. He's really good. And that's what it comes down to. You're going to have to believe the Word, or you're going to believe what you see. Now, the devil will walk. He'll work on what you can see and feel. So your arm swells up. The next morning you wake up, and from your wrist to your elbow, it's big and puffy and soft, about a half inch thicker than it was the day before. And the devil's there saying, You fool. You've waited too long. Now you're going to lose your arm. What are you going to do now? You're going to panic or you're still going to stand on the Word? What are you going to do now? You're going to call 911. <laughs> you better stand on the Word. If you've gone this far, you better stand on the Word because if you don't, you've lost it. Well, the next morning your arm's hard and you can't bend it. Saturday morning. And you wake up, and it's hard. You know, it's really firm and hard, and you can't hardly bend it. And the devil says, oh, you really a fool this morning. You've lost it. What are you going to do? You're going to panic, or are you going to say, praise the king? Thank you, Lord. You promised to heal all of my diseases. Thank you, Lord, that no deadly poison shall hurt me. Thank you, Lord. This one Paul told Timothy in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. What does it mean to fight the good fight of faith? If Jesus said no deadly poison will hurt me, I got to fight that fight. If Jesus said lay hands on the sick and he'll get well, I got to fight that fight. I got to believe it. So if I told me to fight the fight of faith, there must be hindrances or enemies to my faith, right? And you'd never guess who that enemy is, would you? You know who he is well, don't you? The enemy is the devil. And he's the one making the poison swell up your arm. So anyways, by Saturday afternoon, my arm was so stiff I couldn't hardly bend it. So Dave and me and Ricky, my nephew, Baptist preacher, we were all working together and I got to where I couldn't hardly do nothing with my arm. So I just got it and I told him, I said, Dave, you got a surgical kit? He said, yeah. Only man I ever seen had everything in his van. I mean, what you ask him for, he's got it. He went out there in that van and brought a surgical kit in. And I said, cut a hole in marmalade, let's squeeze this devil out in the name of Jesus. So I sat there, no pain, deadly pain, no pain. Jesus bore my pain, so I don't need a shot in that arm. There's no pain. They're going to cut my arm open and we're going to squeeze it out. And I feel nothing because Jesus bore my pain. You do that by faith. 
They cut a hole in my arm about a quarter inch diameter, about a quarter inch deep, and we're squeezing all the way from up here, up here, and all that blood and pus is running out of my arm. You know, we've got a great big towel there, all this running. I said, I'm thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you promised to heal all of my diseases. And, of course, i got a Baptist preacher uh, nephew that, man, he's a faith man. There ain't no doubt in his heart. Now, you want men like him around you. Of course, Dave back there, he's definitely a faith believer. I mean, he said, we're squeezing that devil out of you. You're healed in the name of Jesus because it's written. With three men like that, me and two others like that, that devil don't stand a chance. They cut my arm and we squeezed that stuff out. And by, the next, by that evening, I could bend it pretty good. By Sunday, I wore a long sleeve shirt so nobody could see the swell up on my arm. By Monday, I was in good shape. Tuesday, I was better. By Thursday, I squeezed, or Wednesday, I guess it was. I finally, that little cord was left in there. I really got violent with that beast that morning. I said, you devil of hell, the rest of you is coming out today. And my arm is healed in the name of Jesus. And I squeezed and pushed until I pushed a quarter inch, three quarter inch long piece of solid yellow stuff out of there. And I said, you devil of hell, you're out in the name of Jesus. And the next morning, my arm was normal. And by Friday morning, there wasn't even a place where they cut the hole in it. Walk in faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, did the king say that he would heal all of my diseases? Who am I going to believe? The king. Did the king say that no deadly poison shall hurt me? So who are we going to believe? The king. Who do we normally believe? The enemy. The enemy. What did Jesus say you could have right here? If you're walking in faith and walking in obedience to His Word? He said there, what, can you have a part of what you say? All of what you say. What if you're saying, oh my goodness gracious, I'm going to lose my arm. I know that when a brown recluse bites you, that's deadly poison. That causes the skin to rot all around the arm. And I've got to get to a doctor quick so they can do surgery on me. But you're saying the wrong things. So as you say those things, guess what you're going to have? What you say. Somebody said, it can't be. But let me tell you, this principle is not something I dreamed up. This is written in the Word of God. Did He say you can have whatever you say with your mouth? Did that make you really think about what you say? Yeah. Well, if you haven't listened to our cassettes or our CDs on the power of the tongue, you need to listen to them. It'll change everything that comes out of your mouth. You will never agree with the devil again when he comes upon you to put a pain or a sickness or a headache or nothing. You will never agree with that devil again. Never. When you learn, you can have what you say with your mouth. You won't never walk into one of your children and say, when they say, Mom, I don't feel good this morning. Oh, well, you probably got the flu today. Coming down with the flu. Oh, no, maybe it's bronchitis. Let me go and see how much temperature you got. You probably got 102 or 3. And you go check it, and it's 102 or 3. Us Baptists, we good at this. <laughs> I know. I've been there and lived it. But it's not Baptist. I'm kidding my brother because I was a Baptist, and he knows I'm kidding him. This is serious stuff for the kingdom of God. Jesus one made us these statements, didn't He? And so He expects us to believe what He says in His Word. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to making you sick. Your own worst enemy. 
nearly everybody in here, if you don't know these principles, you will speak sickness and disease upon yourself. You will agree with the enemy instead of agreeing with the Word of God. Now look what keeps you from... Look at these Scriptures. The next one says, Therefore I say unto you... Now remember, this is not me talking. This is Jesus. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire. As a Christian, as a child of God, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe you have received them, and they shall be yours. Is that awesome? When that becomes a reality to you, you will never need anybody else to pray for you ever in your life for anything. You will be able to get it done yourself. And if you're a woman and married to a man, you'll go to your husband, your priest. And if he's walking in obedience to the Word, the two of you together, when you're walking together, I want to show you one of the most magnificent promises that Cheryl and I have seen God do more wonderful things with than any other verse when you learn these principles, when two of you walk together in agreement Turn back in your Bible to Matthew eighteen nineteen. When two of you walk together in agreement, I want you to see what the king said you can do. Now, I could give you hundreds of examples today of mighty miracles and healings of God that I have seen the Lord do when I use this verse. Matthew eighteen nineteen, And it reads something like this. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that what he says? I'm, I Surely I misread that. I didn't misquote that? Just exactly what it says. So that means if you or a submissive wife, and you are the husband, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> if you are a submissive wife to him, and you're married to her, and the two of you walking in obedience, and you're in your home, and you need something from God, what did he say the two of you could have, young lady? Anything we ask. So what do we not understand about that? I don't know. You don't know either. <laughs> you know, when I began to read this, I thought, you dummy, you, what's wrong with you? Isn't that awesome? God has given you and me that kind of power. Cheryl and I have learned that well. I mean, every time we have a need, whatever it is, man, she comes and attacks me. You've got to pray for me. Or we've got to pray for this. Or for somebody else. But we pray together in prayer of agreement. What did the king say we could have? Anything. Well, we have seen awesome things happen. Awesome things. And right here, I'll tell you one of those awesome things. A little over a year ago, Cheryl and I was sitting out in her car, and the Lord had just told me and her to get married. He told us. He gave her a dream one night, and me the next morning spoke to me and told me to marry this girl. I had no plans of getting married, but he told me to marry her. Well, let me tell you, it was really hard to do what God says when I looked at this girl. Isn't she terrible? Awesome? Ugly? (laughs) Really hard. To marry this beautiful thing. When he said, marry her, I said, woo, okay, God, wow, I'll do it. (laughs) 
Help, bend my arm, Lord. <laughs> but anyway, the Lord had told her in a dream to marry me and told me to marry her. And that night I asked her and never had a date, never had a date, never held her hand. And we went down and had a cup of tea that night. And when she told me what the Lord told her and I told her what the Lord told me, I said, well, then how would you like to be my bride and be my helpmate and work with me in the ministry? She said, I'd love it. And she reached across the table and took my hands, and we were engaged. That's the first time we'd ever touched hands. That's not normal, is it? The average person don't get married like that, but that's what God did for us. And so, a week later, or that actually was on Tuesday night and Sunday night after church, we were sitting in her car out talking because we'd never had a date. I don't know nothing about her, and she don't know nothing about me, so we're kind of trying to learn a little about each other, you know. We were going to get married now, and I don't hardly even know her middle name, you know. And she probably don't know mine either. And so we're sitting out in the car talking, and it's way late. We sat there all night. You know, you think teenagers only do these kind of things. But 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, we're still sitting out in front of a restaurant talking in a suburban. She's sitting on her side, and I'm sitting on mine. We're just talking. All of a sudden, a police officer comes up and shines his light in there. What are you two doing? I said, we're talking. I said, I'm a pastor, by the way. <laughs> so anyway, he left in a couple of minutes. And then after he left, all of a sudden, Cheryl cranks the car. And I said, what's wrong? Uh, she said, well, I'm cold. i got to crank the car up and let it warm up. I said, but it's warm outside. She said, but my feet and legs are cold. I said, how long have you had this problem? She said, well, all my life. If you had cold feet and cold legs all your life, it's just the way you're supposed to be, right? Well, see, she didn't realize it was spoken a curse on her when she was a little girl. Your daddy has cold feet and legs, so you'll have cold feet and legs. So she did. So she didn't understand that. The mother didn't understand that. We don't understand these principles. But she had cold feet and legs. I said, you don't have to be like that. What did Jesus say? Matthew 18, 19. What did he say two of us could do? That's got to be the way we read it, brother. I mean, he's right on. We don't read it like it's written, do we? But I said, the Lord says that we can, two of us can pray and agree about anything and he'll do it. And he did say that, didn't he? He did. So see, I got me and you got to get away from that old unbelieving stuff, you know. We got to get over and believe the word. That's where things work. So I told her, I said, you don't have to be like that. She said, I don't. I said, no. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I tell you that if two of you are on earth. And I said, I'm one, you're one, we're on earth. So we're walking in obedience to God's Word. I said, so let's agree. I said, kick your shoes off and throw your feet over the console. So she kicked her shoes off and threw her feet over the console. And I began to grab her knees, right about her knees, down to her ankles. And I began to caress the lower portions of her legs. And as I begin to caress him down to her feet, I'm saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to open every artery and every vein in her legs and let the blood flow. And I rebuke every devil of hell that's blocked this to command them demons to leave in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking you to open those arteries and veins and let that blood flow down in these feet, in both legs, all over that, and make them like you planned them to be from the creation of the world. I thank you for making her feet and legs warm in Jesus' name. I said, Cheryl, you agree with me? She said, of course I do. I said, thank the Father 
for healing you. She said, Lord, thank you. Bam. I was holding her foot way down like this, kind of toward the bottom. And whoo, that cold foot just got nice and toasty warm right in my hands. And let me tell you, from that day to this, a girl that used to sleep in flannel pajamas and double socks, even in the summertime, don't sleep in flannel pajamas and socks anymore. She don't need them no more. I'm telling you, she has to have the air conditioner turned down to 70 to stay cool. (laughs) A fire is in her. Isn't that amazing what you can get? I mean, after all, brother, as one preacher to another, what did the king say there after all? Did he say we could, anybody could ask any two of us on earth agree? Well, now, there's got to be something wrong with the church if we don't believe these promises. Now, how in the world could we read something like that? Baptists, like me and you, we read the Word, don't we, brother? We Word people. How come we don't know that? Oh, there's an enemy out there. Uh, there's an, when you start approaching that verse, he said, Oh, you've got to mow the yard. You forgot to mow the yard this week. And so you get past it and he said, Whew. Okay, now you can go back to thinking about something else. But he don't want you to find that, does he? Because when you get a hold of that, that you're an obedient son and your wife is an obedient daughter and you two are two on earth and you got that promise from God, you as the priest over your home can pray over anything. And he said he'll answer it, didn't he? See, so you don't come to him no more and say, Oh, God, if it be your will, will you do this for me? You get rid of that old nonsense. Us Baptists, we really good about if it be your will, God. When I got a hold of these kind of things, I throw that if it be your will out the window. I know what his will is. He said, I can have anything I want from him that will glorify him. You think he wanted my lovely bride to be her feet to be cold? Of course he didn't. He wanted her legs to be warm. Isn't that amazing? You know, we need something from God. And somebody said, well, gee, what if I'm by myself? I don't have a partner. Well, Where did we just come from? Mark eleven twenty four. How many did He say you needed to have in Mark eleven twenty four? Just one. Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. So He covered all bases, didn't He? Yes, sir. Oh. Mark 11.23, I'll give you an... Well, absolutely, you know, we don't believe by faith what this book says we can do. We don't believe that we can have what do we say with our mouth. Because it does, but it does say that, doesn't it, young lady? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have it. Did he really say that in Mark eleven twenty three? Let's read it again. If you shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. That's quite some power with your tongue, isn't it? That's almost more than you can grasp as a man, isn't it? Well, stop thinking like a man. Start thinking like God. Because he said you've got to have the God kind of faith for that to work. And as long as you think like a man, you won't have these mighty things. But what Greg's talking about, many years ago, 
I'd been working as an engineer for a large corporation. And they'd sold to another corporation, and I was carried over in that corporation, and then that corporation sold to another corporation. Well, the time they sold to that last corporation, they had called us to the Washington. I was director of engineering. I had a very good job, covered the whole southern half of the United States, and I had a whole bunch of men working for me, had a whole bunch of buildings under me, and a whole bunch of trucks. I was responsible for a multi, multi million dollar budget, and I had a very good job. And now, then, this other corporation was going to buy us, and they called us to Washington, D.C., and the VPs called all of us directors and, and VPs and everything else and told us that they were going to close certain divisions when they purchased us, and one of the divisions they were going to close was the engineering division. I was in charge of that over the southern part of the United States. Well, I came home, and I went up on top of the building, and I looked out at all them big buildings they had down there, and I said, Lord, I've been traveling all of these years all over the country. I'm really getting tired of traveling. I want to stay home these remainder of these years and just spend time at home. So I said, I'm going to be the engineer over all these plants. You said I could have whatever I say with my mouth. I realize they have an engineer there now. They must have. But I'm going to ask you to displace him and give him a better job. Send him somewhere where he really wants to go. Bless him. I had no idea at that time the man was a lost sinner. Didn't even know Jesus. His wife worked for American Airlines. Right after I prayed that prayer and claimed that job... I came down off the roof and I walked in and somebody said, Thurman, we understand they're going to close the engineering division. I said, that's what they say. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be the head man over there. I'm going to be the head engineer over all these facilities. They said, well, they probably already got a guy. I said, I know, but God's going to move him out and I'm going to be the head man. You know what people think when you say things like that? You're dreaming. You're crazy. What did Jesus say I could have? Whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart. You know what happened almost immediately? God took that man's wife, which worked for American Airlines, and promoted her and gave her a job, and it was in Miami, Florida. Now, she's in Florida, and he's here. So about, it was four, five, or six months went by, and everybody kept asking me, Thurman, what are you going to do? You're going to be without a job. I said, oh, no. I'm never going to be without a job, but I'm going to be the head man right over there over those facilities. I'm going to be the head engineer over all these facilities for this organization. And they all kind of laughed at me. Well, have you been over to talk to them? I said, not yet. I don't work for them. I work for the king. He said, I can have whatever I say. He'll make it come to pass. Because I'm speaking it in faith. Well, it comes down to within about a week. My job's going to be ended in about a week. So I thought, well, Lord, I just got a week left over here. I guess I better go over and introduce myself to them and tell them I'm their new man. <laughs> so I walked across the street and went over there and I walked in the front door and I said, who's the VP here? And they told me and I said, well, where is he? They said, he's upstairs in his office with Charles Ashcraft. I said, well, I need to talk to them two boys. Charles is a director. I said, good. Those are the two guys I need to talk to. I went upstairs, went in. And I said, hi. 
I'm Thurman Scrivener. I understand you're the VP and you're the director. They said, that's true. I said, uh, I'm the regional engineer for the corporation y'all just bought. And I said, I thought I'd just come over here and see where y'all want to put me to work. And he said, you know, this is the most awesome thing I ever saw. He said, the man that I've had here that's been the engineer in charge of this facility for 10 years came in this morning and told me he's moving to Miami, Florida. He's been offered a better job down there by one of our other companies, and he's going to move. And I thought, what am I going to do? He said, boy, are you here exactly right on time. He said, I'll let you work with him this last week, so he'll give you an idea of what's going on around here. And that day, I went down and met with that man, walked around the place with him, that night about 9 o'clock, I really started talking to him seriously in his office about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. But before the night was over, he had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I led the boy to Jesus. And then that really made the devil mad. I got in my truck and I started home. 10, 10.30 at night. I'm driving 50 miles an hour on 114 when it was just two little dinky roads out there on the other side of Roanoke. Come down by that creek bed right down there. And all of a sudden, there is three huge buck deer standing nose to tail across the road. And there ain't no place you can go and not hit a deer except off of a six or eight foot drop off on either side. And I just slammed the brakes on. I had a tape player playing right there in my seat, playing the Word of God talking about different scriptures, and I just said, Jesus, praise the King! And I just locked the brakes, and I hit that center deer head on. At I was driving 50 miles an hour. Bam! Knocked him plumb over in the ditch, into the bar ditch on the left side. Broke his neck and killed him at stone dead. And a great big mobile intensive care unit was right behind me. And he immediately... I pulled off to the right. He pulled around me, turned on all of his lights, grabbed his big flash out, run across there. He said, man, you killed that deer. He said, let's go see how bad your pickups tore up. I said, there ain't going to be nothing wrong with my pickup. Now, what did Jesus say you could have? What? No, I mean, nobody could be that dumb to think that your pickup's not going to be tore up. Nobody could say that your pickup's not going to be damaged. You just hit a hundred-pound deer, knocked him plumb over into another ditch. That guy went around and shined that flashlight on the front of that 1983 Ford pickup with all that plastic grill and everything else. And he's looking. He says, I saw you hit that deer with this truck. I saw that deer go flying out in the front. He said, I don't see a mark on this truck. Plastic grill. And then he finally shined up on top of it. I said, oh, there's where one of the horns hit one little piece of chrome right there. See that little bitty ding that wasn't on there before? That was the only mark on my pickup. How many of you know an 83 Ford pickup running 50 mile an hour, you hit a 100 pound deer, it tears it up a little? Now, but if you're serving the king, if you're serving the king and walking in faith, this is what you can do. Not only did the, dem- the devil was not able to do any damage to my pickup, but I got a job. Because I said it with my mouth and I believed it with my heart. And I moved into that job as the head engineer over that whole operation. And of course, as I walked into that place, I walked into that place very, just to tell you what you can do. I walked into that place a week later when I walked in there by myself after that man left. They took me around and introduced me to all different departments in all the different buildings, which was three of them. 
And the first building I walked through, I have never heard so much profanity out of the mouths of men and women in my life as I heard in that operation. I never said a word to a person. Guess who that is talking out of the mouths of those people? Who? The devil. Those are demons speaking that foul word out of those people's mouths. People don't use that kind of language normally. That's a devil talking out of their mouth. How much power do we have over the devil? Hey, I believe that. So the next morning on the way to work, I did exactly what Hebrews 4.16 says. I went to the throne of grace. I walked in bold as a lion. How many of you know that Jesus told you to come boldly into the throne of grace? If you're a son or a daughter of the king, can you come boldly in there by the blood of Jesus? You don't have to go in there as a wimp. Hebrews 4.16, he says, come boldly into the throne. We're sons and daughters. What can sons and daughters do to daddy's house? Can we come boldly into daddy's house? Do you have to be invited into daddy's house? You have, you have to give an invitation to your children to come to your house? Or you just say, kids, come on anytime you want to. If we ain't got groceries on, we'll put them on when you all get here. You don't have to be invited. Just come. The father. The father said, son... Come boldly in here anytime you want to in times of need for mercy. And how much power and authority did He give me over the devil? All. So I catch myself up into the throne of grace and I praise Him and thank Him for all these promises. And I say, devil, I want you to know that I know that I have power over you. When I'm in heaven, you're under my feet. So from the throne of grace, Satan, you're under my feet. I demand, Satan, that you stop speaking those foul words out of the mouths of those people at LSG Skyshift. You will not speak out of their mouths. I will not allow you to speak a word of profanity in my hearing anymore from this day forth. Do you hear me, you devil? In the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord, for giving me power over the devil. I walked into that place... And I never heard another word of profanity. Not one. In fact, three months later up in the cafeteria, one of the little ladies come up. She, said, she was a cafeteria cook. She said, Mr. Scrivener, I don't know what's happened since you've come here. <laughs> but she said, this cafeteria at lunch, I used to be, I was, I'm a Christian. I hated to be in this place because so many people use so many bad words in this cafeteria. She said, you moved in here and started praying over your lunch. And she said, I have never heard a word of profanity spoken in this place since you came here. She said, have you told them they can't do this? I said, I only told their boss. <laughs> Y'all know who that is, don't you? The devil of hell. Do you know Satan has to be subject to you? Is that what, is that what the king said? He gave you as a little daughter that kind of power over the devil? Isn't that fun to know that? It's going to make your life different. You know that? It goes change everything. It sure did in mine. It did in mine and Charles. I mean, when we learned we had power over the devil, we don't sweat him no more. When he comes, we just kick him out in the name of Jesus. We don't let him put pain or sickness or nothing else on us. I mean, this bride of mine, just like this morning, I don't know what time it was this morning. Sometime this morning, she woke up I think I was about semi-awake. I think it was about daylight or something. She kicked her heel over there on me and said, Pray for that heel. It's hurting just a little bit. Hey, there used to be in pain, is there? No. Have your hubby pray over it. Don't be in pain and suffering. 
That old devil will make you suffer in pain. And all the time you got your priest laying right beside you. And all you got to do is tell him, pray for me. Rebuke that devil. Kick him out of my life in the name of Jesus. I ain't going to be no pain and no suffering. Not with these kind of promises in the Word. Are you? No. No more. No more, devil. We ain't going to be sick no more. We've been given power and authority. Uh-oh. We need to take a short break. Right quick, before we take the break, we're going to take our offering before we take a break. We do this at the healing school. If you, We're going to come back. We're going to take about a 20-minute break after we take this offering. And then I need a, maybe one or Sharon, would you help her? Uh, Cheryl, take up the offering. And if you want to bless our ministry, we would love it. And if you don't want to give here, we've got a donation box over there on the side. When you leave, if you want to give a check, write it out to TLSM. And if you've got a check, you'll have all your information on it. We record this information. We will send you a tax-free donation at the end of the year. So if you're still living at the same address. we will. And if you need an envelope to give cash, Cheryl and... Uh, uh, Sharon has uh, envelopes. There's some. They need envelopes. So that way, be sure and write or print your name and address on these envelopes where we can read it so we can send you a tax-deductible donation receipt at the end of the year. So, we do appreciate your giving to the ministry. The Lord blesses us. He does bless us. He pays for all of our bills, and our ministry has never been in the red. And that's a blessing and yet we don't charge for nothing and give away everything, but yet we've never been in the red. But you know, the king did say in Luke 6, 38, he said, Give, and it shall... I bet you as a Baptist, I bet you can quote that. <laughs> you know that? You know Luke six thirty eight. What did he say? Amen. I knew he's a good Baptist. Praise God. He said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running. Us Baptists, we know them kind of scriptures. Praise the Lord. But some of us don't believe them. We know it, but we don't believe them. But that's what we do here. When you get your envelopes, these girls are going to pass out your envelopes, pass out to you. Anybody else need an envelope? Anybody else need an envelope? Okay, we give you that. This lady and man back here need one. Be sure and print your name and address or even your phone number so that at the end of the year, if you've moved, we'll have a phone number. Last year, we spent a month at the end of the year. One whole month trying to find all the people that had moved and changed positions. Wow, what a chore trying to find some of these people. So, I mean, Cheryl spent lots of times, and not only her, but two or three of the other girls and guys on the Internet trying to find on white pages, yellow pages, and everything. I was trying to find where you had moved so we could send you a tax donation. But we got most of them. I think we only had about 40 or 50 who actually couldn't ever find. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless the folks as they give to your ministry. I ask you to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we pass these little uh, deals and you put your gift in that. Yeah, just pass it. Yeah. I've got a few questions that, uh, only a few questions, and some of them I can't answer. at least not right now. Uh, I've had questions about different things, and I've had uh, several of you that have asked me questions about you as a wife being subject to your husband, you know, and what kind of trouble you're in. Because whenever you realize that you're supposed to go through your husband for everything, technically speaking, 
I know a lot of women don't want to hear what I'm going to tell you. But when I tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what God says. God says right here in Ephesians, He says, verse 22, chapter 5, verse 21, He says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then he says, wives, submit yourselves under your own husband as unto the Lord. The women are to submit to their husbands in all things. Now, if you don't have a good husband, you're in trouble. You know, and the I, I, only, only thing I can say is, wives, women, that if you have a husband that's not walking in obedience to God's Word, and he's not the spiritual leader of your home, and unfortunately, far too many Christian men fit that criteria. These men are more controlled by the enemy than they are by God. And so, what you can do, you, as a daughter of the King, can come boldly into the throne of grace, like Hebrews 4.16 says, and you can jump up in your daddy's lap and you can tell him, Dad, that man that I have down there, I'm not necessarily for sure now that you give him to me. It was my choice, maybe. He might not have been the right one for me in the first place, but nevertheless, I got him. He's my husband. I've had him for five years, ten years, or fifty years. And he's not walking in obedience to your word. He says he's a Christian. I've done everything I can to be the obedient, quiet, gentle, spirited woman that you told me to be. I have submitted to him like you told Abraham's wife Sarah to submit to Abraham, even calling Abraham Lord. Now, some of you women never called your husband Lord in your life. And some of you wouldn't call your husband Lord if your life depended on it. But your life may depend on it. You just don't know. But if you do what God says, what I'm telling you, what God says, He's the one that said this. So, if you will trust Him and do what He says, and you will do everything He tells you in His Word, and then after you've been the woman that the Word of God says you're supposed to be, and submit to your husband in all things. I know some women have a real problem with that. A real problem. But if you want to see God move wonderfully in your life, you're going to have to do it His way. I didn't write the book. That's just like He told me, Husbands, love your wives. He told me to love her as Christ loved the church. In fact, being willing to give my life for my bride. Now, a man that loves his wife like Christ loved the church is going to do good things for his wife. He's never going to be hard on her. He's not ever going to back off and hit her with his fist. He's going to love her. He's going to be gentle to her. He's going to do good things for her. That's a man that loves the Lord with all his heart. Is there times that you may still not understand him? Oh, yeah. There may be times he does things that you do not understand. But when he does things that you don't understand, instead of reading him the riot act and fussing at him, what did God tell you to do to your husband? Love him. You know what you've been called to do? Love your husband. 
I know that's hard to do sometimes. But still, God's the one told you what to do. I didn't tell you. He did. But that's just like husbands. We have a real problem when he says, love your wife. Well, if you think I'm going to love her after what she done to me, well, all I can say, you're a disobedient husband. And he said, if you don't love that woman and treat her like I told you to, he said, I will not answer your prayer. I mean, you know, God wouldn't do me like that, would he? Oh, yes, he will. Now then, I don't know about you, but I want my prayers answered when I pray, don't you? I love to see God do wonderful things for people. And if I'm mean to my wife, slapping her around and doing things like some men do, treating her like a nothing, God's not going to answer my prayer when I pray. Now, you might think I was the best guy in the world. We come in here and Cheryl's got a bruise on her face. I said, what happened to her? Oh, she fell down. Well, guess who knows the truth? God does. You're slapping your wife around, being mean to her. I'm telling you, ain't no use in you going to God until you repent. In fact, I had a man back here one day come in and he said, can I give a testimony? I said, yes, sir. He came up here and he said, you see that woman right back there? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. But he said, last week, me and her got into a serious disagreement. Now, how many of you know that even though you've been married 50 years, you can still have serious disagreements? Y'all all know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's times when your hubby or your wife don't do what you think, and so you can get into a serious disagreement. He said, I went to bed mad that night. Now, have any of you ever read where the Lord says, Do not go to bed angry, lest you give place to the devil? Do you think he meant that? So then why do you go to bed angry? You don't believe that. Don't go to bed angry, lest you give place to the devil. Well, he said, I went to bed mad. He said, the next morning I woke up with a serious pain in my back and my leg. He said, then I thought what you said. I have, that's just a devil, and I have all power over him. So I said, you devil of pain, I command you to come out of me. He said, oh man, he's all, it hurt twice as bad. He said, whoops, I thought you said, oh, I got to repent first. So I said, God, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. And I rebuked it again, and it got worse. went on down my leg. He said, uh-oh. I didn't ask my wife to forgive me. You mean i got to do that too? So he had to go in and humble himself, ask his wife to forgive him, and ask her to forgive him, and she did. Now, he's already asked God to forgive him, so is he forgiven? But the pain's still there. But now then the devil has no legal right. So then he rebukes the devil, the spirit of pain to leave, and he said, bam, just like that, it left. Isn't that amazing? We don't understand these devils, but they're out there. If we understood the devil and what he was come to do when we sin and we don't do things in accordance to God's word, we would stop doing these things as Christians. Now the world, they can do anything they want to. But Christians, it's time the church, men that profess to be Christians, become the men of God that God called us to be. We're supposed to be the backbone of the church right after Jesus. 
We're supposed to be building on His foundation. We're supposed to be above reproach in everything we do. Integrity. What comes out of our mouth is supposed to bless everybody and everything around us. We're not supposed to ever tell a dirty joke. We're not to ever watch an old movie, wicked movie. We're not to watch any kind of pornography. We're not to read dirty magazines. I mean, I give up reading the newspaper and any kind of magazine and even listening to secular television and secular radio years and years ago because there ain't nothing on there worth listening to. It's all trash. It's junk. And some guy comes in and says, Well, I can't get my prayers answered. I said, How much did you read the Word of God last week? Well, I didn't have time to read it, Thurman. I'm too busy. So, but he says, come on over to the house. My wife's fixing dinner. We'll go have dinner. And I walk in Sunday afternoon. We walk in and there's a Dallas Times Hill and the Dallas Morning News spread all over the place. And I said, good grief. Who had time to read all that? He said, I do. <laughs> oh, yeah? you got time to read all that junk of the world? you ain't got time to read God's Word? I can tell you why you don't get your prayers answered. You see where I'm coming from? Last time I checked, the king said, I am a jealous God. And I don't like you to prostitute yourself with the world. And when he's reading the Dallas Morning News, more than he's reading God's Word, he's, you know what God calls you when you do that? He calls you a whore. How many of you want to be called a whore? Did you know I got a man that goes to this church, a great man of God? He gave us a testimony here a while back that rock your socks off. I mean, he is a tremendous man of God. He gets up every morning, four to six, and reads the Word of God. Every morning, seven days a week. But he's also a graduate of A&M. He's a doctor. He said, one morning I got up, and he said, I thought, I didn't get to watch the A&M footballs yesterday. I wonder if it's on the Internet this morning. So he goes to the Internet and pulls it up, and sure enough, they recorded it. It's on the Internet. So from 4 to 5.30, he's watching the football game. Now, the football game is going to go up to about three hours. So that 4 to 6 with God is now changed from 4 to 5.30. But at 5.30, God speaks to him and calls his name. He said, this morning, you are a whore. You know what he did? He turned off the computer. And he fell on his face and started repenting. What would you do if God told you that? Would you like it? I wouldn't. But if you're a married man or woman and your mate... You went in at 4.30 in the morning and your mate was in bed with somebody else from 4 to 5.30. What would you think about them? You wouldn't like that either, would you? No. Well, see, that's, what, that's the way God sees us when we attach ourselves to the world. He sees us as spiritual prostitutes. And that will make you sick. That will afflict you. And it will bring sickness and disease into your house. You can't take part in the world and walk in divine health. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I know about you. I think every human being that's in their right mind, whether they're lost or saved, wants to walk in divine health. Nobody wants to be sick. It is possible with God. It is absolutely possible. 
So, sometime more in detail, in depth, I will prepare for everybody that asks this question on wives submit to your husbands. I'll get all the scriptures together that I can find. I'll talk about this in detail. But if the woman does not submit to her husband, it can bring sickness and disease to her. If the husband does not love his wife like Christ loved the church, it can also bring sickness and disease to him. And if he doesn't love her, the first thing he will notice, it will stop his prayers from being answered. The very first thing that will happen when you do not love your wife like Christ loved the church, it will prevent your prayers from being answered. If you want your prayers to be answered and see God do great and mighty things, you better love that woman that God give you. Not some other woman, but the one God give you. Or the one you made the choice. Some of you have the mate that God chose for you, and some of you have the one you chose. And those of you that chose your own wished you had chosen another one. But that's unfortunate. That's just the way life is. You know. So you, you've got to do it God's way. Now then, the Lord, when we go back over here where we left off at Mark 11, 23 and 24, I will show you again another demonstration of what Mark 11:24 means. Now, I'll, I'll read it to you, but acting on it is difficult. Acting on Mark 11:24 is difficult, but if you don't act on the Word as it's written, you will not be able to receive from God what's rightfully yours. Now, listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to the Word of God. Therefore, I say unto you, now, who is this talking? This is Jesus. Is this right, brother? This is Jesus. It's in red in my Bible. Therefore, I, Jesus, say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now, what limitation did he give you? None. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And somebody said, well, gee whiz, then I'm going to pray and believe for Alexis, and I expect it to appear. See, but that's lust for something. That's not a Christian being led by the Spirit. A Christian being led by the Spirit will never lust for the things of the world. So when you're a Christian led by the Spirit of God, you'll never pray for anything that's outside the will of God. Somebody said amen or somebody believes that. That's like a lady walked in here one day and she said, my mother sent me down here to this church. I said, well, ma'am, I don't know you. Who is your mother? She told me. I said, well, I don't believe I know her. She said, no, she's never been here. I said, have you been here before? She said, no, this is my first time. But my mother's been hearing you on the radio. She listened to you regularly on the radio. And she, she loves what she hears. So my mother sent me down here and asked you to pray the prayer of faith for her. In agreement with her. I said, well, why didn't your mother come? Oh, she said, she just don't like to come to church. I said, she's not sick or nothing? No. I said, well, what does your mother want me to pray for? She said, she wants you to pray the prayer agreement with me that my mother will win the lottery. You reckon this woman was led by the Spirit or by the world? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out, does it? We know what she's led by, the lust of the flesh. I mean, she wants money. Give me money. What's he going to do with it? You know what I bet she had done? 
if I had been stupid enough to pray that prayer and she had won the lottery, I bet she wouldn't have given God a dime of it. Oh, oh yeah, she didn't want to spend it on herself. She wouldn't. Have, that'd have been the furthest thing from her mind. Ooh, I got to go down and give the Lord fifty percent of this first check. See, God knows that. He knows where your lust is. He knows where your pride of life is. So that's why He don't answer those stupid prayers like that. Now then, He knows those prayers are stupid, so He's not going to answer them. You know. He knows that you can't pray that in faith anyway. You can't do it. Now then, if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, led by the Spirit, you'll never even think about praying for something that's not within the will of God. If you're led by the Spirit, there'll be no problem. But the Lord says here that what things over you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, when Caitlin, my granddaughter, when I brought her home from the hospital after the wreck with no surgeries, the Lord did all the healing on that little girl, which couldn't live, according to the doctors. When I brought her home, I noticed a plug in her stomach. As we're ta- I said, what's this? He said, well, the flapper valve in her, vo- her throat don't work. For some reason, the valve does not work. And so when anything would go in her mouth, it will run into her lungs instead of into her stomach. So he said, until the valve starts working, if it ever works, and he said it may never work, but he said until it starts working, you'll have to feed her through that plug in her stomach. I said, oh, it'll work. Guarantee it'll work because I got the promises of God. I mean, he's made me so many awesome promises in this book. And so... I go home and I take Mark 11.24. I said, Lord, thank you for Mark 11.24. Therefore, Jesus said, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I said, Lord, thank you for that great and awesome promise. Lord, I desire that the valve work in Caitlin's throat. I want to thank you for fixing it. It's done in Jesus' name. So I worshipped him, praised him, thanked him every day for two months. Well, at two months, I feed her through her stomach every day. Three times a day. Take her to the doctor. He checks the valve. It don't work. I said, what? It's got to work. The Word of God says it's got to work. But it didn't. So I come back home and I pray again. And I praise Him and thank Him for two months and take her back at the end of two months and it don't work. We do this for ten months. At the tenth month, the doctor said, it ain't never going to work. I said, I do not receive that curse in the name of Jesus. Now see, I, can, I have power over word curses spoken over me or my own family. But I don't have power over somebody speaking something over you. You're going to have to stop that curse. How can you stop that curse? Walk holy before God. No curse comes upon you undeserved. Proverbs 26, 2. So if you've got a sin in your life, somebody speaks the wrong thing over you, you make your children sick by what you say. Mother can make her children sick by what she says out of her mouth. I wish I'd unplugged that phone. I never thought about that. should have thought about that at the break. But I didn't think very many people call on Saturday, but they obviously they do. Now then, when this verse says... What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall have them. At the end of that tenth month, 
I knew I had done something that had prevented me from getting in contact with God. So I went to the Lord and said, Lord, where have I sinned? If I don't sin, His promises are yes and amen every time. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I took the Word of God, I prayed it, and it didn't work for me. So what does that tell me? If it did not work for me, I either didn't pray in faith or I have a sin in my life. Well, I knew I was praying in faith. Or at least I sure thought I was. But it was not working. The valve did not work. So I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, think about this. I read this verse off and on, one little verse for two weeks before it became a revelation to me. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. What thing soever you desire. What's the limitations? Nothing. Nothing. When you pray. When? When you pray. Not two months later when you take her to the doctor. When you pray. Believe. Now wait a minute. If I prayed and thank God for making that valve work in her throat, if I had to believe when I prayed, what would be the next thing I would do? Feed her. Oh! Oh! I knew when that soaked in. Wait a minute, Thurman. Wait! Wait! That's my only grandbaby! And the valve don't work. And the doctor said, if I give her something to eat, it's going to run into her lungs and kill her. And I've got to believe what that word says over what that doctor says. Do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) I'm telling you, that's why there's not many people walk in faith. That's why we don't go there. Because we don't trust our king. So I repented for my unbelief. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry I didn't believe you. I'm talking to an invisible God I can't see. Is this putting us to the test? Yes. I said, Lord, I repent. I believe your word. Your word says, when I pray, believe in his mind. I said, Lord, I repent for my unbelief. Now I ask you to forgive me. 1 John 1, 9, you said, if I repent, I'm forgiven. So, Lord, thank you. Us Baptists, we all know 1 John 1, 9. We got that verse. Praise God. Some of the other churches will have, but us Baptists, we got that one. Glory to God, we got that locked in. We know we're not but nothing but unworthy sinners anyway. That's what the church has told us all of our life. We don't know we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't know we're children of the King. It really has never become a revelation that we're sons of God and that we're, walk, we're to walk holy and obedient to His Word. And greater things than these that Jesus does shall we do in His name. Those things have never become a revelation to us as Christians. But when you study the Word, it will. So I repented for my unbelief. Lord, I'm so sorry. I did not believe Your Word. But now I do. I really do. So Father... 
Right now, I'm asking you to restore the flapper valve in Caitlin's throat. I'm asking you to make it work perfect. Right now. It's done. I believe it. Thank you, Lord. It's done. Run over to her. I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, the valve works this morning. He said, Thurman, how do you know it works? I said, the Word says it does. Wait a minute. He said, we just come back from the doctor a couple weeks ago, and they said it didn't work. And the doctor said it ain't never going to work. I said, I know what that doctor said. But this morning I found out what I'd done wrong. I didn't believe the Word. I was using Mark eleven twenty four, and it says, when I pray, believe. Not two months later when I take her to the doctor. Pray when I believe when I pray. I said, I prayed just now, but I repented first. And then I prayed. I said, I guarantee the valve works. So what am I supposed to do? I said, feed her. He said, Thurman, it'll run into her lungs and kill her. I said, Toby, the doctor said she couldn't live. Did she live? Well, yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never move an arm. She'd never breathe on her own. Is she breathing? Is she running? Is she playing? The doctor said she'd never see again. But I said, I prayed over her blind eyes with some other people, and she sees. I said, is she doing everything the doctor said she'd never do? He said, yes. I said, why don't you believe me and God this time too? I said, now, you got anything to eat? He said, well, I've got a bowl of applesauce here. She likes applesauce. See, she ain't had a bite to eat other than that liquid diet for ten months. And we, two weeks ago, we just come from the doctor... And that doctor checked that valve and it does not work a lick. And I just take that promise and I stand on it exactly like it says. And I said, now then, feed her. Is that going to put you to the test, Grandma? I didn't believe God all the way. But now then, I believe Him. Yeah. Now then, I say, God, it's done. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, it's done. I pour, we get her some apples, I'll put it in a little bowl, set a little bottle of juice there. And I said, I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She come running in the kitchen, and I said, jump up and sit down in that chair and eat that applesauce for granddaddy. Now, that's my only grandbaby. And that doctor just said two weeks ago, that valve ain't never going to work. And if it ain't working, guess what I'm fixing to do to my grandbaby? What am I fixing to do to her? I'm going to kill her. Is that trusting God? That's what you call really trusting the king, isn't it? I'm trusting a book that's got lines written in it. That people say man wrote this book. And you can't trust this old book. Let me tell you, you can trust this book. Any good Baptist knows we can trust this book. At least part of it. Or we're going to believe it all someday. Well, let me tell you, she sat down there and she ate that bottle, that bowl of applesauce, every bite of it. Drank part of that little bottle of juice and jumped and run and played. And for the next six weeks, every day, we fed her normal. And then we went to the doctor at the twelfth month. And he takes her in there and he checks that valve and he said, I would have never in my life believed this. That valve didn't work a lick for ten months. But he said, today, it's working perfect. He said, you can start feeding her now. <laughs> I said, we've been feeding her for six weeks. That's why it works. You know what the doctor thinks about men and women of faith? 
you are crazy. You are crazy. But that's okay. See, Jesus said I can have what I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. Didn't he? Isn't that amazing? That verse really worked. But now let me show you something that will make that verse not work. And it's right below it. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, do what? Forgive. But Lord, you don't know what my ex-husband done to me. Lord, you don't know what my ex-wife, you don't know what my children did to me. You don't know what that guy at work did to me. You don't know what my daddy did to me when I was a little girl. I'll never forgive him. Okay? Die early, be tormented with the devils of hell, and go to hell if you want to. But either that or you can do it God's way. He says forgive. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father which also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive now if you have an NIV this verse is not in your Bible. NIV left this one out. But the King James and most of the rest of them have it. But if you do not forgive neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. How many of you are like me, you want to be forgiven? I'm telling you. If I wasn't forgiven for what I'd done, although I had a pretty good life and lived a pretty clean life. You know, as clean a life, although, like I said, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss, didn't run around the wild women, didn't do none of those things that a lot of the world did. When I stand before God, the best works I can do, he says, is filthy rags in his presence. I'd hate to try to stand before the king on what I've done, wouldn't you? Because I'm afraid he wouldn't accept it. I'm afraid he'd cast me and you into outer darkness, into hell. Don't you? And I don't want to go there, do you? No. So I want to accept the free gift of the blood of Jesus. The beautiful part about the blood, if you walk in obedience to the Word, you can be the not too bad a sinner, or you can be the filthiest sinner there ever was, when he gets through power washing you with the blood of Jesus, you got the most beautiful white robe on. But see, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can have a filthy black robe on and he power wash it with red blood and it comes out spotless and white. But I don't understand how a black cow eats green grass and it comes with white milk either. <laughs> but God does all that. So since he could do all that, he could do so exceedingly abundantly above all I can think or imagine, I can believe him real easy for my healing or for my deliverance or whatever. When you believe him, this is the hardest thing in the world for people to grasp. And the, the church, when we go to God for prayer, for something, it's like we think he's a secondary. I'm going to ask God to heal me but I got to go to the doctor for surgery in the morning. It's like God can't do anything without a doctor. How do you think God healed all those people in the desert all those years when Moses was bringing them out? How was it that there was millions of people, millions of people and not one sick or feeble among them? I wonder how he did that without doctors. I think he's more awesome than we think, don't you? 
I know he is. How do you think that they, the doctor's done an MRI on my granddaughter early Monday morning and the second one and the MRI showed nothing attached to her brain? Nothing. When I asked Dr. Marks, he says, I do not understand how this little girl has lived this last week. Even with a breathing machine on her. But he said, I just done the second MRI this morning and there's nothing attached to her brain. I said, nothing? He said, nothing. I said, well, how about her eyes? He said, well, the eyes themselves, there's nothing wrong with the eyes, but the cords going from the eyes to the brain are jerked out also. I said, how did that happen? He said, in the wreck. He said, when the two cars hit head on at about 70 miles an hour, he said, when she hit the seat in front of her, her brain came forward and lodged in the front of her skull. And then when the cars bounced back, the brain hit the back of the skull. When it did, it just jerked everything loose from it. And so he said, it's impossible for her to live. Impossible. What are you going to do then? I said, oh, no. No, no. With Jesus, Luke one thirty seven said, With God, all things are possible. Now, do you believe that? If all things are possible with God, and I can have what I say with my mouth, what am I fixing to say? This little girl is not only going to live. She's going to run. She's going to play. She's going to be supernaturally strong. He said, Sir... With this one, there's not one chance in a million. I said, he said, she cannot live. I said, there's not one chance in a million that she can die. I said, she will live and she will run and play and declare the glory of God. That's on Monday morning. And then Dr. Mark said, well, he said, I sure hope you're right. But I don't think there's a chance. I said, see, Dr. Mark, that's where you're wrong again. He said, what do you mean? I said, hope is future tense. Faith is right now. I have hope of heaven, but I have faith that my granddaughter will run and play. I said, so she will run and play. So Thursday morning, Dr. Davis comes in, and she's a precious, wonderful Christian lady. And she says, Mr. Scrivener, we're fixing to pull the tubes out of Caitlin. And she said, you are the only man I've ever met in my life that refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, you have trained yourself with your five physical senses. You've trained yourself with the five things that are hooked to your brain. And you're going totally on those five physical senses. But I said, I don't live there anymore. I live in another world. It's called the world of faith. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even my faith or my trust in God's Word. She said, well, you know she's going to die when we pull that tubes out. I said, nope. She's going to live and declare the glory of God. So the room filled up with doctors, nurses. Attendance. I said, before y'all pull that, I want to quote to you a verse 
I said, it's John 15, 7. And this is what it says. John 15, 7. Jesus has a requirement. If my words remain in you, and you remain in me, then you can ask me anything you want to, and I will do it for you. Is that pretty awesome? See those promises in the Word. Why don't we believe them? Good question, isn't it? Just think, when you start believing promises like that, Mama, what can you get done? Hey, that's exactly right. God didn't cut us short as His children. He provided us with everything imaginable that we need. We go around whining and complaining, but yet the Word of God is full of promises that can do exceedingly beyond your wildest dreams. So they get ready to pull them. And I said, I'm going to quote that verse to you. And then, I'm going to guarantee you, when you pull the tube, she's going to live. In fact, she's going to breathe over that machine on her own. Her little body's listening to what her granddaddy's saying. Does your words have power? If you believe God's Word and you have faith in Him, they do. I said she's going to breathe over that machine on her own and she's going to cough, I guarantee it, in the name of Jesus. And they all just hung their head and thought, this poor old grandfather in denial. Poor guy. And they go over there and pull all the tubes out. And the little machine that's showing how much she's breathing, they think it's fixing to go to zero. And it starts going two points above. And they're standing there looking at that in awe. And then she says, he said, she coughed. I said, I told you she would cough. He said, she can't cough. I said, did you hear her cough? Well, that's what it sounded like. So they sat there and for an hour with their arms on the bed, spellbound, watching her. And every time that she would lightly cough, one of them would say, I can't believe this. And after about an hour, I said, look, I won't tell you all why you don't ever see God do nothing. I said, y'all have seen him do a mighty miracle and there's not a single one of you in the room even believes it after you've seen it. I said, I had that faith for it before it happened. I said, I knew it was going to happen because God said it in his word. And then the guy come to us the next day. He said, you know, it's obvious this little girl is going to live. He said, I now got to do surgery on her right knee. I said, no, what's wrong with her right? And he said, it's crushed. He said, it was crushed when it hit the seat in front of her. He said, if I'd have thought for a minute she'd have lived, I'd have done surgery on that knee when they first brought her in here. But he said, I knew she wasn't going to live, so there wasn't no use of me doing surgery on her knee. She's a dead girl. I said, boy, am I glad you didn't do it. He said, why? I said, because I ain't going to let you do it. He said, sir, if I don't go in and put pins and screws in that knee, that little girl will never walk on that leg. I said, you go in and put pins and screws in there, you're going to leave all kinds of scars. 
And when that leg grows, you're going to go back in there and put new pins and screws in it. I said, if Jesus fixes it, he'll fix it perfect. It won't ever have to be fixed again. And he ain't going to send me a $50,000 bill to do it. I said, no, you cannot do it. And that guy thought I was crazy. And let me tell you, that little girl came out of that hospital walking on that knee. And she walked on it perfect. And that doctor never did touch it. What does God do when you believe Him? What can He do? You and me must be serving the same Jesus, Johnny. He's God, isn't He? He's the King of the universe. He's the one that made the stars. Four light years to the closest star. Four light years. I mean, you only have to travel 186,000 miles a second for four years to get to the closest one. That's money faster than mine, your Chevrolet and Ford, you know it? That's bad news. We've got some fast Chevrolets and Fords. Well, you got one that fast, that would be brother. Is that fast or is that fast? You know how fast 186,000 miles a second is? Did you know at 186,000 miles a second, did you know you could go around the world seven and a half times in one second? Is that fast? Just think, if I could shoot a bullet, and God made this whole thing, if I could stand right here and shoot a bullet, and there was nothing to obstruct it, and it could stay with the contour of the earth, which it couldn't at that kind of speed, but if it could, it could go around the world. When I pulled that trigger, I'd say, 1,001, that's one second. That bullet would have went around the world seven and a half times. That's fast, isn't it, Bruce? But that's the speed of light. And if you straighten that light beam out and shoot it out there to the closest star, it would only take you four years to get there. Only four years. That's the closest one. Let me tell you, the God we serve, we don't have any faith in Him. That's why He don't heal our bodies. But the God we serve is so powerful that He made this little earth and He gave it a little spin and it's only traveling at 1,003 miles an hour. Only 1,003 miles an hour. It's spinning. That's pretty fast. So that it makes one complete revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds. You can set your clock with it, can't you? We all know that. But this is something we don't understand. Not only are we spinning 1,003 miles an hour, but we've got to stay the same distance from the sun, which is 96 million miles away. And so the king took this little ball and put it in the palm of his hand and he says, and he throwed it through space and he throwed it at 69,700 miles per hour so that it goes around the sun every 365 and a quarter days. And at 69,700 miles an hour, it's going exactly the right speed so it don't go off of its orbit to go away and we, burn, we freeze or it don't suck in and go into the earth and into the sun and we burn up. Now, if he'd have thrown it at 75,000 miles an hour, it would have just kept going into space. If he'd have thrown it at 60,000 miles an hour, it would have made less than one turn. It would have sucked in and went in and burned up in the sun. Is he pretty smart? If he can do that, do you think he can heal your body? You think he can fix a flapper valve in my granddaughter's throat? You think he can't? Well, then why in the world don't the church believe him? 
That's a good question, isn't it? And then he turned up and said, Oh, by the way, for my children, I love them so much, I want to put a few stars out there so they can have stars in their eyes at night when they're out there dating their mates. I'll, I'll put a few stars out there for them. And he says, and he held his hands up and waved them, and hundreds of trillions of stars fell into the cosmos. And the Word of God says he knows every one of them by number and by name. Is that a little bigger than we're used to thinking about God? See, that's, what you, that's the way you've got to get. You've got to get to the point where you see Him like that. Then, when you get to where you can see Him like that, then He tells you, you must forgive. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. So if you, don't, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, guess what? He will not heal you. So you've got to get rid of your sin. But somebody says, I've got this little sin over here in the corner. But I just love doing this. And I can't give this up. Okay, stay sick all your life if you want to. But if you get rid of those little besetting sins and walk in obedience to God's Word, you can walk in divine health. You open no doors to the devil. Now then, if you, if you get sick, and he's got these mighty promises in Mark eleven twenty three, is your speaking important? Absolutely. It is the determining factor is whether you're going to walk in divine health or you're going to walk sick and afflicted. Your speech is so important. He holds you accountable forever out of word. Somebody comes to him and says, Oh, brother, some of you pray for me. I know I will be healed. And I pray the prayer of faith for you. And your pain goes away. Jesus is, he is confirming to you. He's on the way healing you. And you walk out that door and you get home. And in the middle of the night, you wake up and you got pain in your side again. Oh my gosh. I thought I was healed. I thought I was healed because I felt so good. Did God say the word anywhere He sent feeling so you would know you were healed? What did He say He sent so you'd know you were healed? The Word. Psalm 107, verse 20. And He sent forth His Word and healed them. His Word and healed them. I want you to turn with me right quick to... We're going to hit just a few more mighty promises and I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1 this is so important for everybody for you for your children for your grandchildren how many of you want you and your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren to be prosperous and successful that's all of us listen to the requirement Joshua 1.8 this book of the law this book of the law that I hold in my hand, the Word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. How often? Day and night. So that's a long way from a normal good Baptist like me that used to read it 30 minutes on Sunday morning before I went to church. Meditating on the Word of God day and night? I didn't even know that was a requirement. So I didn't do it. So I wasn't prosperous and successful. But he says, if you will meditate on the Word of God day and night, that you may observe to do, uh-oh, to do according to, oh, there's that little three-letter word again. All. 
I got to do all these things, he says, that if you will do all that is written therein, for then that shall make your way prosperous, and then should you have good success. Everybody, son, go to college. Be a doctor. Those guys make lots of money. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Daughter, go do this or whatever, and you'll be prosperous and successful. If you didn't tell them to read and study and meditate the Word of God, you didn't give them the right answer, did you? How many of you know you might go to college and be a doctor or whatever? And you might have 10 or 15 years of good success. And then because you didn't walk with God and do what he said, at 35, the devil come by and take you out and you die at 35. You know he can do that? Proverbs, let's go to Proverbs. We want to be prosperous and successful. The answer is in the Word of God. And we all come here today because this is what we want. In Proverbs 4, 20, again he says, My son, attend to my words. You know what it means to attend to something? Really work at it. You know, don't just read it like a novel. You Attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Constantly be reading and looking at the Word of God. Read it out loud. Faith comes by hearing, not reading. Faith comes by hearing the Word. Somebody said, do you always read the Word of God out loud? Virtually always. I just hardly ever sit down to read the Word. I don't read it out loud. It says... Attend to my words, incline your ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to, and there's that little word again, all your flesh. How many of us are like me that want to have good health in all your flesh? How are you going to get it? God's way. You ain't going to get it going to some doctor. There's only one doctor in the universe that you can get health that's lasting. And it's through the king of the universe. When you realize you're a daughter or a son of the king of the universe, and he demands that you depart from evil and purge yourself with no sin. Now, if you're a good Baptist like I was, my Baptist preachers and my Baptist brethren told me all my life I was an unworthy sinner saved by grace. And I believed that. And as long as I believed that, I never saw God answer a prayer. But when I stepped over and found that I was the righteousness of God in Christ, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, then I stopped confessing I'm an unworthy sinner. I started confessing I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Man, I get up in the morning, and I know some of y'all ain't going to agree with me, but that's okay. I'd get up in the morning, I'd look in that mirror, and I'd say, God, look at that good-looking thing in that mirror. Wow. With God in that thing, there ain't nothing me and you can't do today, God. Woo! Because I can say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Aren't we glad, Johnny? Right. Otherwise, every man had wanted your wife, right? Right. Amen. See, she's the beauty of your eye, right? You Amen. Praise God. But see, you look at that mirror and you say, Woo, God, look at that good-looking woman in that mirror. 
Woo! And you're in this thing. I'm a daughter of the king of the universe. You're in me, Lord, and I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I am righteous because of your righteousness. Now, Lord, let's go out today and do something. Let me repent of every sin, and let's go out there and let's speak the word. Let's lay hands on the sick. Let's cast out devils. Let's speak your word and see great and mighty things happen today. Wow. And when you get a hold of those kind of things, you do what I did when a little woman, 50 years old, I hear a woman screaming as out there at Sky Chef. And just a little while before I got fired, they fired me because I refused to stop doing things in the name of Jesus. After 29 years. Isn't that amazing? But anyway, that's okay. I understand the battle I'm in. And I love it a whole lot more working for Jesus in the ministry than I did working in the business world. It's a whole lot more fun. But anyway... In the business world, I got to see God do some wonderful things. But when you see a little woman that fell into a big oven and burned all the skin off of her arm, how would you like to lay your arm down? You've, you've cooked in an oven, haven't you? Mm-hmm. How would you like to fall down when you just had the oven at 350 for about two hours cooking something and you open that steel door down and you slip and fall down and lay your arm on that steel door? What do you think it'd do to that naked arm? Oh, my goodness, it would blister himself. Yes, it did. It did hers, too. That woman was screaming, screaming. She had an insulated glove here down and a short sleeve here up. But from right here to where that glove was, that whole thing was just blister, black, crossed. I mean, blisters coming up, and she was screaming at the top of her lungs. Now, everybody is doing worldly things. Putting cold water on her, trying to find the first aid kit. Well, let me tell you, I know something a whole lot better than the first aid kit. And you know what his name is? Jesus. I come running up to this woman screaming like crazy. And I reached up and grabbed this arm because this right one's the one that burned. I reached up and grabbed that arm right at her elbow. And I said, in Isaiah 53, 4, Jesus bore your pain so you won't have to bear it. I said, then Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. So I put my other hand on her. He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I said, he also said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I'll have it. So I said, woman, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king and his name's Jesus. Now, only us. Tommy would do such a thing like that. <laughs> or a man that believes he's God's, he's God. In minutes, the woman's pain's all gone. She won't even go to the doctor. She's got these big blisters all over her arm. She goes ahead and works in the cafeteria that evening and serves the evening meal. I went up and had dinner with some of the guys. And everybody walked in and said, Adelina, look at your arm. What happened? She said, oh, I fell in that big oven down there this afternoon about 5 o'clock. Well, go to the doctor. She said, it don't hurt at all. He said, like, it don't, it's not there. It don't hurt. She gets home that night after work. Her husband sees it. He wanted to take her to emergency right then. She refused to go. She said, honey, it don't hurt. She said, if it's bothering me in the morning, I might go. But the next morning when Edelina woke up and turned over and looked at her arm, it looks just like mine. Wow. Oh, is Jesus a miracle worker? Does He honor faith? Why should we worry about anything with a king like that can do those kind of things? All it takes is faith. Did I quote, did anything I quote come out of the Word of God? Isn't that amazing? He meant what he said. 
But see, when I was a normal Baptist, when I would say, Oh, God, if it be your will, this woman's... Lord, look at her burned arm, Father. If it be your will, will you please help her? I didn't get nothing. Nothing. But when I spoke it in faith, he shows up. And he does what he says. Look what he says over in James 1, 6 and 7. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. The king, he don't play games with us. James 1, 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith. We must ask him what? Nothing wavering. Is that what your Bible says? No doubt. No doubt. None? Surely he wouldn't be that critical to us, would he? I guess he would. He said that, didn't he? But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering and no doubting. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So if you're a doubting Thomas, what are you going to get from God? You can be sick all of your life. You can be his daughter, his son. Turn back a few pages to Hebrews eleven six. Just a few pages to the left. Hebrews 11.6, the faith chapter. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So in my old Baptist prayers, if it be your will, God, I never saw Him do nothing. But when I learned what His Word says and started speaking it in bold faith, He don't fail you. How would you like to have been Edelina? With a burned arm. How would you like to woke up the next morning after having a burned arm like that with all them blisters when you went to bed that night and you woke up the next morning look at your arm there's not even a mark on your arm. What would you think? I'd be praising the Lord. <laughs> Adelina didn't even know God well enough to even know what happened. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Did God tell us we could do these kind of things? But without faith, it's what? Let me ask you something, ladies. If you're married to a man and you don't do nothing ever to please him, never, what do you think he's going to do for you? Not very much. But if he don't do nothing to please you, what are you going to do for him? Unless you're a supernatural woman, nothing. And that's a tactic the devil gets into. He'll get one doing something, the other don't like it. And they say, well, then I ain't going to do nothing for him. First they know, ain't neither one of them doing nothing for either one. And they're totally in disobedience and rebellion to God. And their prayers will never get answered. And it will bring sickness and disease to your house. Isn't that amazing? This is the last place we're going to go. Psalms 91. This scripture, I virtually have this psalm committed to memory. But there was a lady gave me a little note while I go said, you'll love this. She said, instead of calling 911, 
called Psalms 991, verse 1. 911. Very good thing to do. Now let me show you what is available even under the law if you'll do it God's way. Now see, we've been programmed and trained to think we've got to be sick. No average Christian don't even think I can go through life without being sick. You wake up some morning, you don't feel good, especially as you get a little older. One of your friends calls you, How are you doing this morning, Jesse? Or Jessica? Or whatever your name is. Oh, I don't feel too good this morning. I must be coming down with a flu or bronchitis or something. All your confession is wrong. You're not confessing the Word. You're confessing the works of the devil. That's not what Jesus says at all. And when you get a hold of the Word, look at Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Live in His Word. Do what He says. Praise Him. Worship Him. Thank Him. Be in His church. Tithe. Walk in love. Do everything the King says. Watch every word that comes out of your mouth. That's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. You wake up in the morning. The first thing you do is praise the King. You worship Him. You thank Him. That's the first thing we do, isn't it, Johnny? And sing in the shower. Amen and sing in the shower. Praise God, absolutely. Praising the King in the shower. He loves it. He loves us worshiping and praising Him. We're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Then He says, I will say of the Lord. Uh-oh, be careful. You can't say things about Jesus in the workplace. He'll get you in trouble. You know we're not supposed to talk about religious things in the workplace. That's the world talking. That's not Jesus. That's the world talking. If you want to see Jesus do these mighty things for you, you've got to be talking about Him 24-7. Everywhere you are, you've got to talk about Jesus. I mean, one time, after at work, we had taken on a, a new account, and the company that I used to work for that was bought out by this other company, we used this large company for certain things we bought, and finally, over to this new company, they decided they'd use them and whenever they decided to go over there, the guy said, Who is the engineer in charge of the plant? And one of the guys said, he said I understand it's Thurman Scrivener. He said, Thurman Scrivener is that religious guy. What a way to be remembered. Oh, not that guy could tell the best dirty jokes. Not that guy was the best liar. Not that guy that was a strong guy. But that religious guy. That guy that knew Jesus. That guy that you couldn't be around two minutes. He's talking about Jesus. You want to see God do wonderful things for you? You've got to talk about Him. And it's got to be the right kind of talking about Him. You've got to be praising Him, worshiping Him. And you say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He's my fortress. He's my God and Him will I trust. And then look at what the results are. Verse 3. And surely... He, God, shall deliver you from the snare of the devil. And from the Norselum pestilence are the raging epidemic. You know what happens whenever some kind of epidemic comes and they come on the TV and say, The Adriatic flu is coming through the Dallas Metroplex. Be sure and go get your shots. And the church just panics and runs and starts seeing who they can get a shot from. 
you ain't believing God in nothing you're doing. I wouldn't take a flu shot. I wouldn't take an aspirin. I ain't had one in 20 years. Jesus is all you need. You don't need nothing but the king. And he's a long ways off. You know where the king is? He's right there. And this is a mystery. It was hidden before the foundation of the world. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's got to become a revelation to you. He's really in there. Not just words in your head. You've got to realize in your heart, He's in there. And then Colossians 2.3 says, And all the treasures and the mysteries of the universe are hidden in Him. If all the mysteries and the treasures and the secrets of the universe are hidden in Him and He's in you, then where's all the treasures of the universe? In you. Did He cut us short of anything? No, He gave us everything. And we go around leading defeated lives. He said, if you'll make me the most high God, you're dwelling, but I'll rebuke the devil for you and there won't no sickness and disease come near your house. Did He say that? If He did, then why so many Christians sick? Because they don't know this. They don't read this. They don't believe it. Do you believe the Word of God when it says, By His stripes you were healed? You know where that's found? Isaiah 53, 5. Matthew 8, 17. And 1 Peter 2, 24. If by the stripes of Jesus you are healed, if you believe that, when that becomes a revelation to you, when it really becomes a revelation to you, you will never need anybody ever to pray for you for healing ever again because you won't never be sick. When it becomes a real revelation, if I, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed, then praise God, I am. If I am, if I was, I am. And I ain't going to be sick because Jesus said, He's already healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I ain't going to, I ain't going to have no negative confession. I may wake up in the morning with a tremendous headache. My nose may be running like crazy. And I said, oh, devil, you just showed up again last night, did you? I said, you beast of hell, I have authority over you and power over you. Now you get out in the name of Jesus. I ain't going to go run to no medicine cabinet and open up, have a whole bunch of pills in there and say, ooh, I need another one of them today. There ain't going to be no unbelieving doubt like that in my house. I don't have no medicine cabinet in my house. In fact, I put a, when I was building the ministry center, I put a medicine cabinet, they called them, in the wall to put toothbrushes and things like that in. Dave come along and saw that, and he took it out. And he throwed it away and put a mirror up. I said, what are you doing taking my medicine cabinet out? He said, in the faith ministry, we don't have medicine cabinets. <laughs> I said, okay, we don't have medicine cabinet. <laughs> he said, you're showing unbelief and doubt by putting that medicine cabinet in it. I'll tuck it out. <laughs> you see how important your confession is? If you believe God, He has given you all these wonderful things. All these wonderful things of Psalm 91. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shall thou trust... His truth shall be your shield and, his, and your buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night. You shall not be afraid. How many Christians we got that are afraid today? You should never have no fear 
If fear tries to come upon you, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Grab that devil by the tail and tell him to get, take his fear and get out of your life. Amen. And when you get that in your spirit, you will start speaking to invisible beings you can't see, and you will find your life will be dramatically transformed. Dramatically transformed. Because these invisible devils... Jesus came onto this earth casting demons out of people and the people he cast the demons out of were healed. What is our problem? An invisible beast we can't see Jesus called a demon. How much power and authority do we have over them devils? Are we getting that now, aren't we? All. So when you learn all power and all authority is given you over them devils, you ain't going to let them run over you or your children no more, are you, my wife? Absolutely not. It'll change your life forever. When one of your children gets sick, you go in there and say, you kids sinned anywhere today? You done something wrong? You two hitting each other, beating up on each other? Well, if you are, repent. And they repent and say their son, you reach up, mother reach up and put their hands on one of them little children and say, now, according to Mark 16, 17, 18, come out of my baby, be healed in the name of Jesus. I've seen a many a mother seen her children instantly healed. I mean, after all, the king of the universe one made you that promise, Mama. Mm-hmm. Can you trust him? Yes, sir. yes, you can. Even as Baptist, we can trust him. <laughs> Believe me, I know. I've been a Baptist. So if there's hope for Baptists, there's hope for the rest of you. <laughs> I'm serious. I, try, I make a joke about us Baptists. But I'm telling you, it's not Baptists. It's the church. The devil has beat up on us beyond our wildest dream. we got this wonderful book. This is the last place we're going to go. Psalms 91. This scripture, I virtually have this psalm committed to memory. But there was a lady gave me a little note while ago said, you'll love this. She said, instead of calling 911, call Psalms 91, verse 1. 911. Very good thing to do. Now, let me show you what is available even under the law if you'll do it God's way. Now, see, we've been programmed and trained to think we've got to be sick. The average Christian don't even think I can go through life without being sick. You wake up some morning, you don't feel good, especially as you get a little older. One of your friends calls you, How are you doing this morning, Jesse? Or Jessica? Or whatever your name is. Oh, I don't feel too good this morning. I must be coming down with a flu or bronchitis or something. All your confession is wrong. You're not confessing the Word. You're confessing the works of the devil. That's not what Jesus says at all. And when you get a hold of the Word, look at Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Live in His Word. Do what He says. Praise Him. Worship Him. Thank Him. Be in His church. Tithe. Walk in love. Do everything the King says. Watch every word that comes out of your mouth. That's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. You wake up in the morning. The first thing you do is praise the King. You worship Him. You thank Him. That's the first thing we do, isn't it, Johnny? Amen and sing in the shower. Praise God, absolutely. Praising the King in the shower. He loves it. 
He loves us worshiping and praising Him. We're dwelling in the sacred place of the Most High. Then He says, I will say of the Lord. Uh-oh. Careful, you can't say things about Jesus down in the workplace. It'll get you in trouble. You know we're not supposed to talk about religious things in the workplace. That's the world talking. That's not Jesus. That's the world talking. If you want to see Jesus do these mighty things for you, you've got to be talking about Him 24-7. Everywhere you are, you've got to talk about Jesus. I mean, one time out there at work, we had taken on a, a new account. And the company that I used to work for that it was bought out by this other company, we used this large company for certain things we bought. And finally, over to this new company, they decided they'd use them. And whenever they decided to go over there, the guy said, who is the engineer in charge of the plant? And one of the guys said, he, I understand it's Thurman Scrivener. He said, Thurman Scrivener, it's that religious guy. What a way to be remembered. Oh, not that guy could tell the best dirty jokes. Not that guy was the best liar. Not that guy that was a strong guy. But that religious guy. That guy that knew Jesus. That guy that you couldn't be around two minutes. He's talking about Jesus. You want to see God do wonderful things for you? You've got to talk about Him. And it's got to be the right kind of talking about Him. You've got to be praising Him, worshiping Him. And you say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He's my fortress. He's my God and Him will I trust. And then look at what the results are. Verse 3. And surely... He, God, shall deliver you from the snare of the devil. And from the Norselum pestilence are the raging epidemic. You know what happens whenever some kind of epidemic comes and they come on the TV and say, the Adriatic flu is coming through the Dallas Metroplex. Be sure and go get your shots. And the church just panics and runs and starts seeing who they can get a shot from. You ain't believing God in nothing you're doing. I wouldn't take a flu shot. I wouldn't take an aspirin. I ain't had one in 20 years. Jesus is all you need. You don't need nothing but the king. And he's a long ways off. You know where the king is? He's right there. And this is a mystery. It was hidden before the foundation of the world. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you. The hope of glory. But it's got to become a revelation to you. He's really in there. Not just words in your head. You've got to realize in your heart. He's in there. And then Colossians 2.3 says And all the treasures and the mysteries of the universe are hidden in Him. If all the mysteries and the treasures and the secrets of the universe are hidden in Him and He's in you, then where's all the treasures of the universe? In you. Did He cut us short of anything? No, He gave us everything. And we go around leading defeated lives. He said, if you'll make me the most high God your dwelling place, I'll rebuke the devil for you and there won't no sickness and disease come near your house. Did He say that? If He did, then why so many Christians sick? Because they don't know this. They don't read this. They don't believe it. Do you believe the Word of God when it says, By His stripes you were healed? You know where that's found? Isaiah 53, 5. Matthew 8, 17. And 1 Peter 2, 24. If by the stripes of Jesus you are healed, 
If you believe that, when that becomes a revelation to you, when it really becomes a revelation to you, you will never need anybody ever to pray for you for healing ever again because you will never be sick. When it becomes a real revelation, if I was by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed, then praise God, I am. If I am, if I was, I am. And I ain't going to be sick because Jesus said He's already healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I ain't, going to, I ain't going to have no negative confession. I may wake up in the morning with a tremendous headache. My nose may be running like crazy. And I said, oh, devil, you just showed up again last night, did you? I said, you beast of hell, I have authority over you and power over you. Now you get out in the name of Jesus. I ain't going to go run to no medicine cabinet and open it up, have a whole bunch of pills in there and say, Ooh, I need another one of them today. There ain't going to be no unbelief and doubt like that in my house. I don't have no medicine cabinet in my house. In fact, I put a, when I was building the ministry center, I put a medicine cabinet, they called them, in the wall to put toothbrushes and things like that in. Dave come along and saw that and he took it out. And he throwed it away and put a mirror up there. I said, what are you doing taking my medicine cabinet out? He said, in a faith ministry, we don't have medicine cabinets. <laughs> I said, okay, we don't have medicine cabinets. He said, you're showing unbelief and doubt by putting that medicine cabinet in it. I'll tuck it out. <laughs> you see how important your confession is? If you believe God, He has given you all these wonderful things. All these wonderful things of Psalm 91. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be your shield and, his, and your buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night. You shall not be afraid. How many Christians we got that are afraid today? You should never have no fear. If fear tries to come upon you, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Grab that devil by the tail and tell him to get, take his fear and get out of your life. Amen. And when you get that in your spirit, you will start speaking to invisible beings you can't see, and you will find your life will be dramatically transformed. Dramatically transformed. Because these invisible devils... Jesus came onto this earth casting demons out of people and the people He cast the demons out of were healed. What is our problem? An invisible beast we can't see Jesus called a demon. How much power and authority do we have over them devils? Are we getting that now, aren't we? All. So when you learn all power and all authority is given you over them devils, you ain't going to let them run over you or your children no more, are you, Mama? Absolutely not. It'll change your life forever. When one of your children gets sick, you go in there and say, you kids sinned anywhere today? You done something wrong? You two hitting each other, beating up on each other? Well, if you are, repent. And they repent and say they're sorry. And you reach up, mother reach up and put their hands on one of them little children and say, now, according to Mark 16, 17, 18, come out of my baby, be healed in the name of Jesus. I've seen a many a mother seen her children instantly healed. I mean, after all, the king of the universe one made you that promise, Mama. Can you trust him? Yes, you can. Even as Baptists, we can trust him. <laughs> Believe me, I know. I've been a Baptist. So if there's hope for Baptists, there's hope for the rest of you. <laughs> I'm serious. I, try, I make a joke about us Baptists, but I'm telling you, it's not Baptists. 
It's the church. The devil has beat up on us beyond our wildest dream. We got this wonderful book with all these promises. And we go around letting this devil beat up on us. Well, I, I'm tired of it. I think it's time we become the people God told us we are. You don't have to pray for healing. Just drive out the devil. Repent of your sins and drive out the devil. You know, there's many, many, many cases in the Word of God where Jesus, once the people had repented of their sins, Jesus drove out the devils and they were healed. He drove out the devils and they were healed. He drove out the devils and they were healed. Over and over and over. Now then, you might have to pray and ask God to restore in your flesh everything the devil's messed up if he's eat up a lot of stuff in there. That demon of cancer can eat some stuff. He can tear up your flesh. And this is something Cheryl and I have come to realize. That in the last year since we've been married, almost every person that we have seen that we've ministered to had cancer, had unforgiveness. Unforgiveness in your life or in your mate's life will bring the demons of cancer to you and to your children. That's scary, isn't it? You don't want to go there. You don't want to walk in unforgiveness. I don't care what nobody does. You want to walk in obedience to the Word. He says in verse 6, Nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now this is provided you've made Him the Most High God your dwelling place. There's a requirement. And then He says, No evil shall befall you. None. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. No no sickness. For He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. You know who the lion and the adder are? The devil and his demons. That's what he's talking about. The young lion and the dragon himself, the devil himself, you shall tread on. You shall trample him under your feet. Only if you know these promises are yours. Isn't that awesome what he said in his word? Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. Oh, that means you can call upon God, and he'll answer you? Let me ask this question in here. I want you to hold up your hand if you've ever had this experience. Everybody in here that has heard the authoritative voice that sounds audible of God, have you ever heard him speak to you in a form that's audible? Look at this. What sounded audible? I mean, if, have you ever heard the king, and you've been walking along, all of a sudden you hear a voice, you turn around and see who's talking? There's a woman came in here the other day, she said, Thurman, I've only heard that voice one time in my life. One. 
And she said, when my son was about 25 years old, I had prayed for that boy, prayed for that boy, and prayed for that boy. The boy was on drugs, alcohol, and everything else. And I'd done everything I knew to do. And said, so one day I just come to, I said, God, I have done everything I know to do, and I can't seem to make any change in my son's life. So I know you must want me just to give up on him. And she said, I heard this. No! She said, man, did that get my attention? So she said, I went back and continued to pray for years. And she said, I want to tell you today, my son's 50 years old and he's a Baptist preacher. So just think, what if mama had gave up on him? He'd have been in hell. The devil would have got him. See, God don't want none of us to go to hell, does he? But we're fighting a spiritual battle and he does not want us to give up. I can only imagine the whims God must think we are. We are not willing to fight the battle. People today are not strong. Some of you older women in here will associate with my mother when my mother, when my sister got killed in a car wreck with three little tiny boys. My mother made this statement. We were poor. We lived out in the country. And people questioned, could we feed three more children? And my mother said, if I have to go out there and scratch with the chickens to feed these babies... I will scratch with the chickens to feed these babies. Now that's a grandmother that loves her grandbabies. She will pay any price. She'll live in anything. She'll do anything to meet the need of her family. She's not worried whether she's living in a fine home. She's not worried whether she's got a fine dress on. She just wants to feed her baby. She'll wear a feed sack to feed her babies. That's a real woman. That's a real woman. And let me tell you, there's not many of them left today. We grumble and complain. Not many real men left today either. That's so sad. But the Lord says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What kind of life are we as Christians supposed to have? Long, good life. No sickness and no disease. But you're going to have to learn how to talk. You're going to have to believe these promises. You're going to have to learn who that devil is. If you'll learn who that devil is and you'll believe it, I guarantee the Lord has made us promise after promise after promise. And when you come to Him in faith and you pray or rebuke that devil and command Him to leave, that devil will leave and you will be healed. Isn't that amazing? The book's full of promises. We just touched a few of them today. Just a few. Just a few. And it's 5 o'clock. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank You and praise You for the privilege to come before Your people and to teach your people what you've shown me from your word. I thank you for all these awesome experiences you've given me over the years, these times of trials and tests, even in my own life, so that I can tell them beyond a shadow of a doubt what is required, what the word says, and if they'll trust it, you'll do for them the same thing you've done for me. And I thank you, Father, for still being the God of signs and miracles and wonders. The one that still never changes. The one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I'm thankful for that, Lord. Now, Lord, as we pray for people, I ask you to be merciful to them. Touch their hearts. Heal them. Deliver them. And make them whole. And make yourself known in a mighty way among everybody here today. And may those that are not sick, that don't need prayer, may they have learned your word and may they take your word and go forth and act on your word and teach others these things. And may you see them do great and wonderful things like the wonderful testimony Sharon gave us about how she got the woman healed over there. May all of us see these kind of things this week so that people will know that you live. Because when you live through us and we touch someone in faith in your name, the name of Jesus, and you do these great and mighty things, it literally shocks everybody around us. But Lord, thank you for being that God. Thank you for being the mighty God, the Savior, the healer, the deliverer, the provider. And we praise you and thank you for healing all of your people, saving your people. And Lord, we thank you that you said that every promise you made us is yes every time. So all we've got to do is believe and receive after we've repented. And the answer is always yes. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. The healing school, the teaching has come to a close. And everybody that wants to come up here, we will pray for you however long it takes. And if you have questions you want to ask me or talk to me about, I'll be here as long as you need me to be here. I will not go away.